Hello humans, welcome to the M Words, the Manx Sports Podcast, brought to you by Martin, that's me, and Matt, that's him. Hello Matthew. Hello. Again, <laughs> again, we've been recording a lot of these recently. Uh, Mark, thanks for joining us, appreciate it. Yeah, no appreciate problem, thank times. you. Uh, just before we bat off, I just, just want to uh, give a quick thank you out to our sponsor, Billboards Advertising, Digital Advertising. See them around town, you see their boards, so get in contact with the guys, get your brand out there, get your marketing out there, that's billboards.im future of advertising and thank those guys for uh, helping us out on the on the pod so quickly matty on the intro there i'm sure you recognize the sounds yeah. of yeah. the hacker definitely yeah well maybe you can give us some background <laughs> to it <laughs> i can't pretty actually, well known and so you guys obviously have an audio coming through i can't so is there a, is there a hacker coming through in the background yeah is there? yeah yeah just just a, a clip we found on youtube oh of, cool or one of many on youtube of, of the guys doing the hacker yeah, I mean, uh, look, I mean, like the hackers, like the, the All Blacks is uh, synonymous with the hacker. And I think it's really sometimes it's difficult to talk about because um, it's something which means so much to, to the New Zealand, the Kiwis, and also being an All Black. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you haven't played for the All Blacks or not, it still means a hell of a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, the hacker, like, uh, kind of a like a brief overview, right? Like, it. this goes back to... God, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, the the uh, the our indigenous were the 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 Maldives. Um, you know, same like the uh, like say Samoa, the Polynesians, you know, the Samoans, the Cook Islands, the the Tongans, uh, the Fijians. They all have their own uh, haka, and the haka is a war dance. It's a challenge, and it's you know, and so each of those islands have their own war dance because they all kind of had their they all kind of fought amongst themselves and, and obviously against other tribes and that. Um, and New Zealand, you know, pre colonization you know back in i think 1846 when we were when we were sort of kind of finally uh, finally the english kind of came in and bombarded us um you know we were you know it was we were only the only the only maldives there on 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 the island on on new zealand and um and that we had different tribes or different what they called iwis which are the tribe the maori name for a tribe and they would fight between the tribes and before each sort of fight um you would have you'd do a haka and Mm -hmm. and then the other tribe would do a haka and then, then you'd go into battle right. and they'd kill a few people. <laughs> right. And then, you know, and then whatever happened after that. Um, so the hacker's really the, the act of the, the, the dance, should we say, or the, the it's, it's, but then that differs from tribe to tribe. Yeah, it's, it's different, you know. And so, um, you know, starting from, you know, the, from the first time we ever played rugby in New Zealand, where it was you know, 1905 and, and that sort of stuff, where they had, the hacker was always part of, part of New Zealand it was because it was seen as a challenge and you know, like a war challenge going to battle, going to battle. Um, and that's how it was funny enough like um, and I never really knew this until I kind of looked into it a little bit more but the haka was only ever performed uh, away from home All right, okay. up until 1987 when we had the first World Cup in New Zealand so it was only ever performed away from home All right, okay. uh, and if you look at some of the old clips of the haka which a lot of people have you see you see some skinny little white guys there dancing around on them like <laughs> look like everyone's an out of timing uh, honestly it was, like, it was exactly <laughs> it, was, it was like being down at the local dance club or something you know like no everyone had two left feet um, they they said oh it was just terrible like it was actually embarrassing like watching it but of course Growing up in New Zealand, it never was, you know, you're like, oh, this is awesome. But yeah. um, anyway, it was 1987, right? So the, uh, we had the inaugural World Cup in New Zealand. And um, uh, the captain of the All Blacks at the time was a guy called Buck Shelford, a real strong Māori presence. He actually coached me. He's from North Harbour, 
which is the province which I played for. Uh, he coached me and I got really, like, I became really, really close to him because I was his captain of his team in North Harbour and that sort of stuff. And so I saw him sort of, obviously, 87, I was, what was that? I was sort of like 17. Yeah. Um, um, you know, just like like obviously loving rugby. You know, everything was about rugby back then. But uh, and seeing these guys, and the first time that they did the haka in New Zealand, um, and it was interesting because I've uh, and I've actually spoken to Buck about this, and he tells me he tells a story, and he sort of like um, he you know at the time he just said you know guys if we're going to do this haka on New Zealand soil we've got to do it right. And so, you know, none of this fancy pantsy sort of like out of timing stuff, whatever. Right. Like, we're going to do it right. We're going to practice and we're going to practice. We do it right. And the first time they really, really practiced it, got the uh, the kind of the semicircle shape, buckshelf it at the front. Um, and I think the first hucker they did was against Italy, which was the first game of the World Cup. Right. Um, and it was just, and that kind of like set the tone not just for the World Cup, but just for New Zealand and New Zealand rugby, because after that, that was that was it. The, the haka was just yeah. they did it at home and away. Um, and so and that now, like if you're playing rugby yeah. at school, etc., is that yeah. part of the routine at school? Or well, schools have their. It's interesting. Like the the, the schools rugby in New Zealand is massive, right? And they have uh, they have their own hackers. So the schools against the, particularly the big uh, big. Um, Pacific Island schools in Auckland, uh, Wellington, that sort of stuff. They do have a mess. They do have their own haka, and you see a lot of the um, the kids watching the, the the game like perform a haka too. I mean, if you look online, there's some there's some amazing like whole school just getting behind the team and doing a haka challenge in the other school. Oh, right. okay. Like it's a real like it's a real um, tradition, and it's like it like these kids get right behind it. So it's brought up with it, yeah. And. With New Zealand, the, the the rugby team themselves, when you do it, do you ever do different a different province style yeah, like, of it, or is it always? Well, when so with the schools, I think they have a different style, yeah. different sort of type of um um uh, like, like like rendition of it, like to different. But uh, with the All Blacks, it's, it was always the 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 kapahaka, which was the original one, which right. is what you see the which most you've seen previously. Um, it wasn't until 2005, right, that, um, um, and I was, I'd just moved over to, moved overseas at the time, but the New Zealand wanted a bit of a change, and like Graham Henry was the coach, Wayne Smith was the coach, and they wanted a bit of a change, and they wanted to bring a bit of, uh, I use the word mana, mana is a bit of um, a respect, it's a Maori word for respect, but a power, they want to bring the, the mana back into the haka, they wanted to bring what it meant for the for the All Blacks, but not, but also what it meant for the people watching it again because I felt like it kind of lost its kind of um, it felt like it was just like a routine I was going to okay. do the haka yeah. you know what I mean like I needed to bring something yeah. back so um, and it was actually ingenious like what they did was amazing so they got local tribe um, uh, chiefs brought them in brought the team in they got the players to to um, be involved in it the senior players at the time and they created a new haka called the Kapa uh, Puanga and the new haka basically was, you know, lyrics, I mean, not lyrics, but the words translated to we are the All Blacks, so this is what it means to us, kind of. And the players um, uh, wrote, wrote the sort of, lyric, not wrote the, not lyrics, but wrote the words for it along with the chief, and then we kind of danced it out. And uh, Tana Umanga was the captain at the time. And okay, I played like quite a lot of rugby with him, and, uh, and he led the first one in, uh, in Dunedin and Carisbrook, I think, against South Africa right. in 2005. We absolutely spanked them after that, which was brilliant. <laughs> um, but uh, but it was the first time it was seen, and it was just a completely different haka. Right. And it was, and you could see how much 
and I, I still vividly remember watching that game actually and you can see how much um, it meant to the players and uh, it was the captain that led it um, you know and it brought a bit of like wow this is this is pretty awesome yeah. and so they now had two versions they had the the, the couple haka and then the couple buanga um, and you find now for example when the All Blacks play uh, they only do the 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 latter the 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 the, the new version yeah, right. for the big special games, big occasions. They right. save it because right. it's it's like really, of course, original one it means something to them, but this one really means that it just gets them up, uh, and they try not to 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 use it too often. It's more of a um, yeah special occasion, but uh, special man, like it's uh, to do it and the the and I can understand why previously they used to do it away from home because. Like you've kind got, going into battle you're kind of going into battle, and yeah. you like there's you haven't got your family, you haven't got anyone behind you, you haven't got your friends, and that. And so you know, I've done it away from you know, I've done it in stadiums, you know, full to eighty thousand away from home, and uh, you just just lost in that moment, and then just so eager just to go and absolutely smash something. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. So it's pretty, it's, yeah, it's pretty inspirational and pretty, uh, pretty moving. Is the hacker done in any other team sport? Um, yeah, it is like uh, they 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 do it in basketball, okay. but they only do it they only do it the, the original they only do the original version. Yeah. Um, yeah, they started to do I think they started to do like the rugby league. They you know they do a hucker they they do their own kind of version. It's like quite a like quite a like quite an awesome kind of um, version of it. Yeah, they 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 tend to I mean. I think the All Whites, which is our football team, I don't think they necessarily do the huck. I don't think they're really there's you know what I mean? Like it's not really part of the, the football yeah. or soccer what we call yeah, back home. Um, <laughs> the golfers turning up and doing that. Exactly, know, you know. But what you do find though, like the hucker, because the hucker's such a, a synonymous with New Zealand and respecting mm. that like I've been at funerals before and you do a hucker for like person, you know, oh, they've been carried as they carry the coffin out. Mm. Um, you do the hucker at a wedding, stuff like that. So it's not Yes, it is synonymous with battle, fight, you know, and that sort of stuff, but it's also a sign of respect. So that's, and so I've done it nice. many times at a wedding, uh, at a funeral where, um, you know, and it can be quite moving in that respect as well. So either way, whenever it's been, whenever it's done, it's a very moving tribute to our ancestors and to like the people of New Zealand previously, but also to the, the opponent or person who's passed away or the wedding or something like that yeah. or to the school who you're about to play so it's a very 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 respectful thing as well and you mentioned earlier just before we got on air there the the leader of the hacker yeah that t- typically the captain yep. yeah yeah typically the captain but you know as, as it got later on um they generally had like a, a, a moldy person that was leading it um you look at tj perinara at the moment for the all blacks leading it uh, aaron smith was before um or, or one of the pacific island boys uh, they normally right. keep the white guys out of it. That's all. <laughs> they're just <laughs> they're right. But yeah. But then Karen Karen Reed. To be fair, though, in the last in the World Cup, he was leading it. But right. he was leading also for two reasons: captain, but also because it was his last, like yeah, last few games yeah. in, uh, in an All Black jersey. So it was a bit of respect to him as well. And the hacker itself, the 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 word, I presume, yeah. it has a meaning. Just does it? Um, good point, actually. Should have told me that. Uh, I'm not too sure what the meaning no. was. Uh, we'll stick on our footnotes. Yeah, I, I, I presume yeah, it's yeah. from the language. I would assume. Yeah, no, definitely from the language. That. It's probably battle to battle. I don't know. Yeah, so I'm not like too that. sure. Something like that. Yeah, I'm 
Should should really yeah. should really have known that, but I, <laughs> no, no, it's well, right. <laughs> so should I. Wow. That's right. right. Caught me out. Yeah, no, that's right. So uh, no, normally, when, when we sort of first fire off with the pod, the first question we ask everyone, which they'll have long figured out by now, which is whether they're a come over. As we, this is Manx terms, whether yeah. you're a come over Manx, 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 or Manx is the hills, and then that depends on clearly you're a come over with them yeah. with your with your accent. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and obviously the Manx, Manx is people that perhaps one generation have been born. Oh here. right, okay. So. Uh, so I'll skip the question on my basis yeah. that you're a come over, which you're more than welcome as a come over. Yeah, that's thank the other you. thing I say every, on every episode about <laughs> come over. It's not a bad thing at all. <laughs> the island prospers with them. Uh, so yeah, so growing up then, where did you? Obviously New Zealand. Why? But whereabouts in New Zealand did you grow up? Um, so I grew up in the bottom of the, uh, the North Island, a place called Palmerston North, or just out of Palmerston North. Um, and I was born in Palmerston North, and it's a like. If you're not living in Auckland, you're either a, you're pretty much either a dairy farmer or a sheep farmer. So my fam- my family were were dairy farmers. Okay. Uh, all, all all my family actually, um, my uncles and auntie, um, and they all had farms around pretty pretty close to each other. So I just grew up on a dairy farm, uh, and then at eight years old, uh, my mum and dad decided that they were going to leave the dairy farm, which was you know like unheard of back then. Um, and they moved to the far north, to a place called Whangarei, which is just sort of on the, kind of on the entrance to the Bay of Islands, sort of about maybe a couple of hours drive north of Auckland. And Auckland's the main city, right? Auckland, like over half the population live in Auckland anyway, so that's kind of where the, the majority of the people live. Um, so yeah, so we moved up there and um, yeah, it's just, uh, but the farming back, the, the farming from the beginning was just, was just awesome because, mm-hmm. um, you know, we had all this land, um, you know, we're every night after school. Uh, I'm one of four boys, so mm. me and my bro- brothers, we just used to play rugby after uh, every night after school. It was just rugby. Um, uncles come over, you play with cousins, play rugby, played all played touch or scrag in the in the, in the backyard. Um, had a couple some goalposts, goalpost sticks in the um, uh, in our in our sort of farmland or whatever, just next to the, our backyard. You used to kick ball over there, you know. Right. Just everything was. You had a ball in your hand. You're outdoors. Um, we had our, our uncle's farm next door, and our and our nana and granddad's farm just up the road. So you kind of just flick between yeah, cousins, and you just and you were just outdoors all the time. You were just always kicking a ball around, always playing something. Um, Is it the primary sport in? So oh, it's, in uh, yeah, it's that's it. That's all you ever yeah. do. Um, I mean, look, I mean, there's other sports obviously yeah. you play, but I mean, the primary one is definitely yeah, rugby, yeah. and that was kind of and like my family. My dad was was a provincial rugby player. My uncles were provincial yeah. rugby players. It was in my blood. Yeah. Uh, so my brothers all played as well. So yeah, there's a lot of influence around. Yeah, you, massive so, influence yeah, around yeah. me. Yeah. So you, I presume that obviously play at school then. So when you moved to the north, yeah, when I moved to the north, playing. yeah, I mean, I we were as a place. I mean, New Zealand's broken up in prov- uh, provinces, so what we call provincial rugby. So you've got, I moved up to what was called Northland, which is basically from um, north of Auckland up all the way up to the Cap Ring, up the very top. Um, very strong, like, rugby territory. So the Goings, Sid Going, King Going, Brian Going, like, the Goings were, like, were like, sy- like synonymous with New Zealand rugby back in, like, the 70s. Uh, and Sid Going was, uh, like, a, like, a really famous international um, uh, all-black scrum half at the time. Um, and so I could, I kind of grew up with in proud rugby territory, so it was quite nice, you know. And yeah. then so my school, uh, so it's like the school it was just like everything rugby. Um, yeah, you just you kind of that was it, you know. Like uh, I mean, I was 
God, I mean, I was tiny when I was younger, right? Like, right. I mean, it took a long time for puberty to hit me, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> I think the girls found that as well. Uh, but, <laughs> but anyway, uh, you know, like when I was 13, 14, 15, and, and I was still just so tiny, um, but I was playing first 15 by the age of 14. And full contact, is it? Full contact, yeah. Right. And I was tiny, like I was honestly probably not even 50 kgs, 45 kgs. Right, right. Um, but... You know, and you're playing against some big boys, but you just you weren't really kind of protected. Um, but what I was protected was I was at school, was I was always looked after because I was always, I guess, I excelled in rugby very early, um, and I kind of got, I kind of just got looked after at school. Right. So mm-hmm. it's quite nice in that respect. So even at school, where you're a smaller size, yeah. can, is the ability seen then? The, 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 I guess the teachers around and the coaches around see the, the yeah, the yeah, you stand out from others. Yeah, definitely. I mean. I don't really know what like made me stand out from my brothers or from others. I don't, you know, like you kind of. I don't really know, you know, like you kind of look at it, and I'm like, oh, well, what, what, what made me different to my yeah. to my brothers or to other people? And but I always knew that when I was younger, then I like I just always knew I was better than right. yeah, than yeah. the people I was playing, and I just always knew that. Yeah, I was just really weird. Like I just always knew that. Um, that I, well, I, I could just do things differently and I could see things differently playing. Right. And, um, and knowing that, did that make you think you could take this and start playing at a high yeah. level? Well, the thing was, you know, like rugby wasn't professional, it wasn't about money, it wasn't about trying to get a career out of it. It was just that that's what you lived and lived and breathed. So when I all through my school, I just lived and breathed rugby. And maybe that was a bit of the difference to my other brothers. Like, you know, any chance I got... I would out there be kicking a ball, I'd be passing a ball. Like, I mean, when I was really young, um, I had my uh, my youngest brother, he'd be, my, he'd be my catcher of the ball, and I just used to throw balls every night just mm-hmm. to him, just pass and just pass, pass, pass. Um, Sid going, obviously, the the, 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 the all-back halfback in the 70s, said to me that what he did was, we used to play these leather balls. I don't know if you know, you, you probably people don't remember these nothing. leather balls. They used to have like a... Uh, like a like a drawstring through the top or whatever like and if you if you took the 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 um, that out there'd be like a bladder inside it okay yeah. but if you took that bladder out and filled it with sawdust or sand I think either one of the two and then stitched it back up you'd have a weighted ball right and so Sid Gurry in the All Blacks told me that's what he used to do I think I was about nine or ten right. at the time and he said that and I just heard him saying it that that's what he did so I went home got my leather ball undid it. Took the bladder out, filled it with uh, with sawdust. I think at the time it was about probably four or five kgs. Yeah, right. And I had we had a double garage at home, and I just just chucked my brother in the corner, and he I just, he's throw balls some right. all the time. Uh, and then if it wasn't if he wasn't there, I'd have a, a single mattress up on the on the corner, right. and I just used to pass, pass, pass. Right. And so by the time I was ten, I could you know, I could throw the ball better than anyone else right. just because I just could, like, just trained it like, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and off both hands as well. So it was just. Yeah, I, you know, I just, just I had that um, that single mindedness to just just do whatever I could to just be the best, and and yeah, and that was just kind of through from a very young age all the way through. So fifteen, sixteen, then it's kind of puberty hitting, and are you playing for club a club then as well? No, it's only it's only just, first fifteen. Yeah, all right. Yeah, okay. we, all we had in first fifteen rugby up until you leave you left school. Okay. Well, so the, then after that it was under nineteens, I think it was, or under twenty no under twenty ones. Okay. So you left school and then it was you either just went straight to under twenty ones, okay. and then you went to senior club rugby. So you either excelled. That, yeah, and I presume that was in a club environment. Yeah, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the school, the first fifteen rugby, was everything about 
as you were growing up from that sort of like 13 to sort of 17 age group mm-hmm. um, and then obviously playing first 15 from 14 for you know, three or four years um, and then that was I mean and, and playing provincial for my representing my province in secondary schools and that and I never actually I never made any secondary schools like the or sort of trials or New Zealand secondary schools and they it's interesting all the people and there wasn't really until um under 21s really when the like the the which is the current under 20 sort of like uh, world competition that, that that's running at the moment so i mean i was 19 it was my first year it was my first year out of school um and uh so my second year out of school and then that's when i just kind of excelled a bit and then right. but basically i moved from the north from whangarei moved down to auckland so as soon as i finished school Played provincial rugby at school, secondary school rugby. Sorry, at school had a fantastic time, uh, and then I was like, right, I need, I need to get out of this, this kind of the small town because mm-hmm. Whangarei at the time was very tiny. I think it was only about forty or fifty thousand people, mind you. Isle of Man is only eighty thousand, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. but you know, like I was like, right, I need to, uh, and I, you know, like I came from nothing, so I didn't, we didn't have any money. My family didn't have any money, and I wasn't prepared to go to university because I didn't want to get a loan. I didn't want to pay for anything. Um, so I got a job working um, uh, for, for Nike, uh, oh. sports company. I was actually dating the daughter of the, the general manager. Oh, right. So <laughs> it's quite nice. So she said, oh, what? She, so she got me a job and it was like brilliant. All I was doing was stacking shelves right. and, pack, and, I, and I was picking boxes and delivering, like stealing them up and delivering them to all the sports stores all around uh, New Zealand. Right. Just working in a warehouse, like it was like um, physical work. It was bloody hard actually, always on the knees. And all, then training. And then and train the all the time. time. And then, yeah, the year later in 95, um, uh, you know, I was 19 years old. Um, yeah, and then just yeah, I just kind of kind of took another level, and then um, and then I started to, to move forward from there. And what was that? That what do you think made it to that another level? Just again, that just hard works, continued hard work, yeah, um, belief, skill. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like just hard work, like. Did you get paid at any stage no, for the rugby here? No, 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 nothing at all, mate. Like, just I mean, my, my my salary for Nike at the time, I think, was 22000 New Zealand dollars. Right. And at the time, it was like three to one, yeah. like, currency, you know. <laughs> um, but I lived I lived with a I lived with a, a family. Um, and the guy I lived with, um, his name was Steve Nixon. Uh, he was a footballer in the local Auckland team. And he was a really good, he was actually a really good footballer. Um, and him and his wife... Um, and they they kind of took me and I lodged with them, right. and it was actually the best thing that ever happened because I was just I was just I just moved to Auckland, I was eighteen, 18 yeah. kind of like really green, very naive, like I knew no one. It's um, a big step away, isn't it? When you yeah, with, with family and in quieter areas. Yeah, massively, mate. In Auckland, I was a big city then, and you're like, well, I don't even really know what's going on. Like I was just, but I was a bit overwhelmed. Um, Funny enough, yeah, I actually, I actually went to work and bloody, I think I was crying. I think I cried, broke down at work. Whatever. I've been, only been at work for three months mm-hmm. and my mate Steve, whatever, goes, what's wrong? And I said, oh, this flat I was supposed to move into fell through. I don't know what I'm going to do. Like I was lodging with this family at the time from a local rugby club who were like the president and they were absolute assholes to me. Right. Uh, they were just twats. Um, and like, yeah, and he just was trying to, trying to kick me out. So <laughs> uh, Steve and his wife brought me in and best thing that ever happened right, actually kind of nice. saved me but yeah back to the question absolute hard work like uh, after work I'd go and like practice my kicking passing still just do anything possible and then I was playing for a local club as well um, right. but it was just training just trained and 
I'm, Matt knows a bit more about rugby than me. When at that stage, were you playing in different areas within the? I'm going to say the pitch. That's how much my knowledge is yeah. about rugby. But were you moving around, or did you have your fixed position? No, I had my fixed. Play? Yeah, I had my fixed position at the scrum half. Right, um, number nine. Um, I was still tiny. I was still like, so I was still pretty small. But I'd, so I developed scrum pack thing. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, I literally <laughs> do know. Yeah, yeah no, George so didn't teach me too much. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you you know, right? Like you're the you're the the scrum half is you're the link between the backs and the forwards. You basically okay. you make sure that that shit happens basically. Okay, because right. <laughs> yeah, that's where I used to play in my oh, right. little school career, as it were. Yeah. Oh, so right. that, oh cool. I'm oh, glad right. to see okay. the scrum half, <laughs> half in the room. And yeah. so typically, again, I suppose my only reference then is maybe right. football. Do you tend to throughout your rugby from a very young age? Do you tend to get fixed to a position and stay there, or over time maybe you generally, you generally do? All right, yeah, you generally do. I mean, rugby's great caters for all like um, body types and body yeah. shapes, right? Like if you're a, if you're a, a guy, but big guy, slightly overweight, you're generally going to be a prop, you know. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, if you're the if you're one of, out on the wing, exactly. If you're two, if you're one, if you're over six foot, you're probably going to be a lock or a, or a flanker, and right. if you're the smallest on the pitch you're going to be a number nine which is the scrum right. half predominantly you know that's what it was yeah, you know right, so right. Um, so at 19 around that age 20 do you do gym work as part of that thing or is it more just more just about being on um, the pitch yeah I mean like so through my schooling so yeah I mean so in terms of sports so I I did pretty much all sports through schooling right. um, pretty much everything right like tennis competitively right. I did gymnastics at a really young age like from 10, 11, 12 I was doing competitive gymnastics and that actually was awesome for my rugby just in terms of just the strength and the core and the upper body strength was just phenomenal you know at a young age and I was doing like it's just, it's just I was I remember I was walking upstairs on my hands up and down stairs on right. my hands I used to walk around my house all the time on my handstands you know, right, my right. parents used to hate it like and it was just like that was I was just athletic and full of energy but um, I did surf lifesaving from uh, when I was about 13 or 14. So surf lifesaving in New Zealand. Obviously, you patrol, you patrol the beaches in the summer, and I grew up on the beach, and I grew up surfing, I grew up skateboarding, and that sort of stuff. I hate you already. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, and beaches were only just down the road. Yeah, like, yeah. the beaches were, like, cool beaches were only just down the road from our house in Whangarei when I was up north. And um, and I got involved in the surf club, and because um, I was reasonably quick at the time, and uh, the guys were, like, they used to have, like, competitive carnivals, what they used to call them. And there was... Not only surf events where you're like you're on the board or you have to swim out and you're like or you're on the on the boats whatever, uh, but there's also beach events so like uh, uh, beach sprints and and um, and uh, God I can't even remember what the hell it was called, um, um, where like an event where you're basically at 20 meters and you had to lie down facing the the water. And on a whistle, you had to spin around, get up, and sprint to the flag. Right. Flags, it was like beach flags, or say okay, beach yeah. flags. And of course, if there's nine people on the on, on on your in your race, they don't have eight flags. So no. it's a process of elimination no, no, each right, time. Okay. And and I started doing that when I was about 14, 15, and it just, I just, I don't know, something clicked. Like I just developed, right. and my legs just grew. Everything just kind of grew, and I was just all of a sudden I was like doing national, and I and I like won national titles for beach flags and beach sprints. So like I was, so I just had that competitive edge, and yeah, then, yeah. and that like kind of gave me that speed, mm. and then and that strength as well, and then of course that kind of carried on forward. So that was a really good grounding, um, having the gymnastics, good you know like like having I think for every, anyone growing up to have a, a have a 
touch in all different mm-hmm. sports. It just gives you different skill set. Like the tennis was that hand-eye coordination, you know, like, you know, that was, if I tried to hit a ball now, couldn't bloody hit a, th- hit a fling, thing, you know, but back then yeah. I was bloody, you know, I was playing competitive national, like uh, provincial tennis, then surf lifesaving, that sprinting. Oh, I couldn't swim for, for crap at the time, but I mean, I was on the beach, it was awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, so, and I had all these, just, it's just that, just kind of that good grounding, that good, ability I think was just what will come take it through we've, we've talked to a few different people on the podcast from it's in sport people yeah. around sort of Isle of Man sport where they see younger children in I'll use the word fixated on sport but they've got one sport and that's it and the, the constant yeah, yeah. message seems to be do at younger age do multiple sports definitely and not only does it round your skills as you talk about yeah. there but yeah you also don't perhaps get a bit when you fixed on that one sport, it becomes your identity, and they talk about having other sports. So it doesn't, yeah. doesn't become but, your sole identity. Uh, I definitely agree, right? Like, so you know, when I was young, you know, like I was doing track and athletics. Um, you know, I could do the long jump. You know, it was great. You know, do all that sort of stuff. Once, and you you need to be able to have the ability to, be able to do all sorts of sports because once you fixate on one sport, your body changes. And like, like I know that once I got fixated on rugby when I left school, and that was it. And it was rugby, rugby, rugby. Like all of a sudden, you know, I, I remember going back and went to do a like a, a like to do a long jump or something. I was like about twenty, and my back almost blew out on me. You know, like mm-hmm. but I just I just my body shape changed. Yeah, yeah. Um, everything changed in my body, and all of a sudden I just became so developed for rugby, and my body was just like, okay, you are now like just yeah. Built, I suppose at that 16, play. 17 you then pick your kind of path. Yeah, exactly. Typically yeah, that's yeah. the way. But yeah, that early stage. That early stage, yeah. And if you hadn't done the variety of sports at any stage, you haven't you haven't added like different like repertoire of skills to your to your armory, so that when you get to that nineteen and twenty, when you really want to break through, yeah. you've got this, you've got the skill set to fall back on, and all of a sudden you're doing things that other people can't because you've just gone and been able to explore different, uh, and you've been able to test your body yeah. uh, in different ways as well. Yeah, it's almost suppose you look at it like you go into if that was just from day one rugby. In many ways, you become one-dimensional, don't you? Massively, yeah. Whereby those other sports bring those other dimensions in. Just yep. small areas, but maybe just enough to get you noticed from someone else. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So 2021, how did the rugby progress from there? Yeah, so, I mean, like, uh, it's it's funny, back in New Zealand, like, if you don't make the, the New Zealand under-20s, you're very hard to sometimes get seen after that. Um, so in 1995, um, I got... Uh, I was 19, just about to go into my my, my 20th year, um, and there was a scrum half, all black scrum half from the the North Harbour province. Obviously, I've moved down to North Harbour, only in my second year, and he this guy basically brought me under his wing. And again, it's like you know, it's I look back and it's like there's certain people who influenced your life that made such a difference. It's the two, it's the the family that brought me in when I was 18, just moved to Auckland when I was just. Didn't know I didn't I didn't know I was struggling. I needed someone to help me. They brought me into a nice family environment, mm. and then like a year later, um, the former all, uh, the All Black at the time guy, guy's name was called Ant Strawn, phenomenal player um, and such well respected player in the in the North Harbour Province because I was playing like basically age group province for, for North Harbour as well at the time. He brought me under his wing and said, right, I'm going to teach you how to pass the ball. I'm going to teach you how to kick a ball. I'm going to, albeit I'd been practicing it for years, he, he just all of a sudden brought me under his wing. And the reason why he did it was because at that time he was going to leave um, New Zealand to go to Japan. Uh, and so he he basically, I don't know what it was. Like, I don't know if he saw something in me or I don't know. Or, or, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I was just going to say, is that, how did you end up meeting him? And that was that through a match or just chance? And you say for all those things to kind of fall into place? Yeah, I, I mean, I got invited to a, um, 
to a provincial training camp like from the seniors down to the um, under 21s because I was playing for North Harbour at under 21s at the time or under 20s um, and so the under 20s and then you normally step up to the top provincial side it was North Harbour and at the time they didn't have super rugby so there's no professional sport so you stepped up to, to the provincial and that was the top level underneath the All Blacks so um, I was playing age uh, under, tw- under 20s at the time and yeah, I'd, he just yeah maybe he saw something and he just kind of pulled me aside. We had this training camp um, and he just pulled me aside and said, "Look, I need something to train with. Um, what do you reckon?" And I was like, "Yeah, man, hell yeah, <laughs> hell yes, you know." And then so I trained with him two or three times a week in the evening. He was preparing for the for the '95 World Cup at the time, wow. um, and I was just like, I just didn't really care. I just wanted just to train with him, mm-hmm. and it just and I actually became really really good friends. And um, there's a funny thing how. I'll tell you later on if you remind me like how I could how I, I helped him out later on after that but right. anyway um, and uh, and then yeah he just changed my game and then that year um, my game just went to another level and I made the New Zealand under 21s like basically I was playing club rugby for under 21s I wasn't even playing senior club rugby and all the guys that I made the New Zealand uh, under 21 team with were all playing provincial rugby at the time right. I was only one of like one or two guys who made it and like we went down to a trials in New Zealand um, and uh, and the trials were just brutal. Like I mean, it was feet, it was fitness tests, fitness tests. Mm-hmm. Like you had like shitloads of coaches all around with their with their notepads, just taking notes, just watching all these kids. Yeah. You're you're one of like maybe I think fifty or sixty kids selected throughout New Zealand to go and represent New Zealand in twenty months because you knew if you got that 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 would be the next step yeah. to to the All Blacks. So you were like you just the pressure for that was just immense, and you were like I was one of the youngest there as well. Well, presumably, as you were saying there, with all the background you've had in your beach yeah. sprints, your flags, and yeah. everything else that you've done there, kind of, I guess, all came together to help you in that instance there, whereas I guess maybe some of the guys may have just been rugby players all the time or something like that, or was it... Yeah, I mean, what I found was that at that trial, this was the first time I'd ever been um, uh, exposed to the, the exposed to that scene. Like I'd never been in like a secondary school trial or under whatever it was. I just kind of got exposed to it, and there are a lot of people who thought that they should be there, right. and it was like there are and a lot of people were just there because they'd been in maybe the secondary schools for New Zealand or they'd been in the under sixteens for New Zealand. They even had that, but that age grade, and I was just like, I was just like, right, I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that I bloody you know prove just yourself. prove yourself. So you were just fighting to prove yourself. So you're making sure you did the beat, best beep test at the time. Make sure whatever you did, you know, you just were the best, and yeah. and um, and then yeah, and then that kind of got noticed, and we had a trial against the two teams had a trial at like the two main. The, we got broken down into two final teams, basically an A team and a B team, and that's basically what it was. Uh, we ended up beating the A team, uh, and I outplayed the other halfback, and then but the other halfback who I was playing against wasn't even the main halfback. They'd rested the main halfback who they who was already. I mean, this is how ridiculous it was. He was already earmarked for for the under to be in, to be selected. Right. Um, his name was Danny Lee, and he was such an arrogant little twat as well. And you know, and so once that team got selected, and I got selected, selected in it. Um, I was like, right, I'm going to beat you now. No, I'm going to yeah. make sure, like, you think you've you've done nothing, done nothing to prove yourself just because you'd been in like the secondary schools previously, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then yeah, they ended up beating them and being number one. So it was just like that mindset of just wanting to always bloody. Well, that's what I was going to ask. Do you always f- feel that you always felt that you need to prove something to someone? 
Is that what that uh, drive is? Um, yeah, I think a little bit like it was a little maybe bit being smaller at school. Maybe I don't know. Yeah, just wanna... just always fighting. Right. You know, just is that maybe the brothers being in with the brothers? Maybe <laughs> yeah, possibly. Not, like, not necessarily the fighting, but the mentality of yeah, the mentality of like yeah, you just yeah. like yeah, like it was a winning mentality. It was yeah. like right, I'm gonna beat, I'm gonna win, I'm gonna beat that person, or I'm gonna beat that, or I was like, okay, so. You know, when my rugby did take off um, and it did turn professional, and my training was very much like, okay, cool. So what am, what what do I think the the other halfbacks are doing? Uh-huh. And I'd okay, right, I need to do twice as much as right. them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it was like it became like such a competitive edge. Like you're just so fixated on just basically being better and pushing and driving yourself that um, it's it's good and it's bad because you just become like basically you just so driven yeah, yeah. Um, that you know you just again it can you can fall off a cliff quite easily like yeah, if, yeah, if yeah, it I'm gets sure. to that point so and you, you still training with straw was it straw? and straw yeah yeah, was- yeah so sorry so that that carried on then he left um, at the end of 95 and um, and then I and then from 96 then I made the provincial team for the North Harbour. I took his spot basically, and there was another oh, okay. halfback there that was basically earmarked to take him, and I basically overtook him. Oh. And then it was just the the way I look at it, like everything happens, and it's not until you sort of you retire and you look back on your career and you go, "Geez, you know, there are so many, there are so many just like, and it's not luck, just opportunities, you know. Like had Aunt, had Aunt Sean not left to Japan." He would have still been playing and he would have carried on you know he was only 25 26 he was young i actually know probably just a little bit older but he was young you know mm. um and then had i not got that opportunity and then had i not got a break in one in a game and then basically in that first game i played I, I scored a try and i was like and then i was like they kept me for the next game and then scored another try and then it was just like and this is a provincial team after i'd got you know and then next thing you know the person who was earmarked to be there for north harbour like never played again do you know what I mean and it was like and it was just that that one break and then and that's I find I've I've spoken to lots of All Blacks you know even the the greats like Richie McCoy and Dan Carter and their opportunity there is an opportunity opportunity that presents itself in some way or another and it's just being able to just take it like it like whether it's through someone's injury like through someone leaving like I mean I'm Josh Cromfield for example you won't know the name but one of the greatest All Black flankers uh, was all back flanker left and there was a massive gap in New Zealand about flanker and then Rich, along came Richard McCaw and got his opportunity you know and yeah, it was yeah, just yeah. like and then that was it you say no more so it's like there's so many uh, opportunistic sort of chances yeah, that yeah. come along and it's just been able to just been in the right place at the right yeah. time and then being able to basically execute it I think I was funnily enough I'm not going to go into it a lot now because I was only looking up this a couple of days ago about you mentioned the word look there and I was looking up what uh what luck was, you know, in, in the definition yeah. of what luck is, and it, it's ultimately random, really, and therefore, some people, you know, you speak to some people and they talk about, I'm really unlucky, and other people will talk about being really lucky, but a lot of the, the, the sort of the bits of reading I've done about it is, because it's just st- statistical anomalies, yeah. really, ultimately, that no one is either, yeah. uh, but you can, by doing the right things, you create those opportunities, so when you talk about people get, having these lucky breaks that that's not quite the right term but those lucky opportunities but ultimately that's from what I've read it's 
it's putting you being out you might put yourself in 10 other situations where the luck didn't break mm. but you don't really look back on that you just you look back well the 11th one did where the, the other person who's done three and gone I'm not having any luck and walked off into the hills that hasn't got that break eventually yeah I mean god I mean I know players who are incredibly unlucky but then they keep fighting and keep fighting and they got their chance and then they proved them you know um, I mean oh god I mean I look back in my career and like from a young age and yes there was a lot of luck and a lot of opportunity and I had some really really good people um, help me and I sort of think back and I think well I think back now would I help someone if they didn't deserve it or would I help someone if I didn't think they wanted it or they didn't think that they had potential so I think put myself in their shoes I'm like so obviously I was the type of person that was just I was always looking for a way to be better and so if I saw if I met you and you offered an opportunity and you said oh I'm doing this and I'd be like okay cool I'll I'll do that. Do you know what I mean? I was so enthusiastic yeah, yeah. and so keen to learn that I'd just jump at anything possible where I could actually try and make be better. And um, and I, yeah, and I, I mean, I mean, I even invited myself. Funny enough, to was an ex Hall Black who was at the the, the under twenty under twenty uh, trials. Dave Loveridge, one of our greatest All Blacks, met him. Uh, him, he was a, a scrum half, um, like my idol. His son was a scrum half, and. Um, he mentioned something about his farm in Taranaki. He said, oh, yeah, he's a pig farmer. I said, oh, I'm from a dairy farm or whatever. And, and I said, oh, look, oh, I'd love to come down and do some training with you. And I kind of basically invited myself. And I look back and I think he didn't really have a choice. And I invited <laughs> myself down to his farm. Well, I went down to his farm in Taranaki. He'd never been there before for two nights. Yeah. Uh, and I was out there passing balls with him and his son and the, and, and the, and the farm. I remember him taking him around the pig farm. And it was interesting enough, like, just it's a bit. I just am remembering this now. I'm sitting at dinner table, and this is when I was 19 years old, right? And I eat left-handed, although I'm not left-handed. And I'm sitting there, and he's Dave Loveridge is eating left-handed. His son's eating eating left-handed. His mum, like the, the the wife at the time, I can't remember her name, was like, "Oh, you bloody scrum halves! You're all like halfbacks. You're all eating left-handed." I was just like, "This is, this is awesome!" <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> like you know, I'm with my idol, and I just like stand at his house, and I basically just invited myself down yeah. so I could see if I could try and be better, if I could try and pick something up which he would maybe teach me. Yeah, yeah. But that's I think that's where that look is, where you're kind of pushing yourself into these opportunities rather yeah. than just sitting back waiting for an invite, which maybe would never happen. Yeah. Putting yourself out, isn't it, and going. It's you difficult know. to put yourself out yeah, there, man. And like, but at the yeah. time when you're so driven and you're so focused on achieving yeah. that you just don't see it as um, you don't see it as a concern. You just and that's where you know you put yourself out there sometimes and you fall back. And but okay, cool, all right, that, go didn't, that didn't work. I'll, I'll do something else. Or um, it's like key to go again. Yeah, you? exactly. You, you know, you just yeah, definitely setbacks. Um, you know, like I uh, definitely I, nothing was even it was an easy road. I mean, that's for sure. I mean. I mean, I had disappointment when I was younger from not being selected for teams, you know, prevent like top teams, just and always questioning why because you put so much into it, and then you'd be like, "Well, oh, okay, I better do, I better, I better fight harder, yeah, I better do yeah. more then next time," you know. So it's it's like it's right like Italian, the, yeah, it? like lessons learned, you know. So back in ninety five, ninety six, around that time, New Zealand as a national team were they. Were they dominant as sort of we see them today? Yeah, yeah, massively. You know, us in South Africa were basically, you know, the the two leading countries. Australia had like obviously were right up there as well. But um, uh, yeah, like we're, we we were when I finally got onto the All Blacks in 1997. I kind of got on there in '96, um, which is you know, I was like I was 20 years old, and I just kind of got 
I got kind of like basically my career just kind of took off once I started playing provincial and I started getting seen on TV but also amongst the coaches and the All Black coaches at the time um, and the All Blacks had just come back from South Africa in 95 having lost the World Cup in the final when which you know South Africa deservedly won but the All Blacks were in terms of player by player were, were a much better team they had the Joan Lomus they had all that the, all the Christian Cullens the Jeff Wilsons whatever um, but they just got beat in the final. But they were, they you know the players that were, they were phenomenal, right? And so all of a sudden I'm playing against them, and then I'm playing with them in my team in North Harbour because we had five or five of the All Blacks from that World mm-hmm. Cup were in the North Harbour team. So I was 19 years old, just exposed to a real. Mm-hmm. I was just exposed to a very different life to most other 19 year old, and 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 I had so much pressure on me to perform because you had an expectation to once you're in that provincial setup on the senior level there's a massive expectation as well and there's a massive amount of pressure so but you back yourself because you don't know any different because you're so confident you know that you've done so much to get there and you've trained so hard and like these hours upon hours upon hours yeah. from when you're not not when you're 15 or 16 or 17 like when you're 9 10 8 you know like when you're a kid just growing up you just like you add all that up and it's just like actually you deserve to be there and so I always felt I deserved to be there because I just fought so hard for it um like say playing in that environment with that that skill level up uh, you know, five or five or six other players around you that are playing at national level. Yeah, it's ridiculous. You know, like it's it's awesome as well. And do you remember the the, the time when you got? Again, I don't know how it works, but I assume you get a call, do you? Or do you see it on the news when you get called up? How yeah, sort of. Like, I mean, I mean, were you my, expecting it? No, no. My my, my first year in '96, um, it was the second to last game of the season, and I got a call from the All Black coach John Hart at the time. And he goes to me. Um, he goes. Uh, he goes. Mark, um, uh, I need you to come to a press conference on Monday because they were selecting a Barbarians team, a New Zealand Barbarians team, which is basically the All Blacks to go to the UK at the time for a three-match tour. Um, and they kind of, I'd kind of been picked as a bit of a bolter. Uh, and then yeah, I got the phone call from Bolter. Bolter as in like a like well, not so. I wasn't. I wasn't expected to be selected. Okay. Like okay. I was like kind of they they picked three. Bolters, okay, like yeah, basically yeah, players yeah. that weren't all blacks that were good, they wanted to take along as yeah, potential, yeah, potential yeah, yeah, bums. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. potential, like sort of bleeding them into the environment. And then I got that call, and then I was just like, okay, wow, this is awesome. And then went away on those tour, and then I saw them at the level, which was another level up right. from Super Rugby, just turned, and the game just turned professional. And then all of a sudden, you get money put in front of you, but you don't really give a shit because you're like, oh, I don't care about that. It was all about, and it was all about the All Blacks and playing. Um, and that was my first real exposure to top top level. And then the following year was my first actual year as an All Black in '97, and. Yeah, I remember that day so vividly, and I don't think I'll probably ever forget it. Really, talk us through a bit about that. Um, it was again after another Super Rugby season, um, and then the provincial season, and I, I basically there was an end of year tour and in, in, to England to the UK, and and at the end of '97, um, and I was just playing some of my best rugby anyway. Like it was just I was 20 years old, and I was just loving life, um, uh, and. Um, yeah, and I just was in the car with actually the current girl I was seeing at the time, and um, and yeah, I just got the phone call from the coach John Hart again, and he was just like, right, uh, Mark, do you want to be at a press conference on Monday? And I was just like, 
okay, what for? And he said, well, you better get your bags packed. You're, you're coming on tour with us. And I was just like, sort of broke down in tears, actually not on the phone to him, but I was just like, I was just in tears and rang my dad. Um, you know, stopped the car, rang the dad and told dad, I said, dad, you, you, whatever you do, you cannot tell the family. I mean, it hasn't been announced until Monday. I think it was on a Saturday or whatever, Sunday or something. Um, and I said, don't tell anyone. My dad's bloody crying. Um, and the next thing I know, I get messages from my uncle, uncles, <laughs> all my family messages me, and I'm just like, I'm just like, Dad, I've bloody told yeah. you not to tell anyone. But anyway, and then we had a big press conference on the Monday, and they introduced like the new All Blacks, and it was quite like it was just, it was very. Did you have much media training? No, they kind of did at the time, but like, it's quite hard, you know, because you're quite raw. Mm. Like you know, you you're, you're, you're you get asked questions. You've gone through it all. Mate, like, yeah, you, yeah. you had no idea, you know, you just, like, you say what was on your mind, which half the time you shouldn't really say, you know. Um, but uh, it was awesome. Um, very successful tour. Um, you know, should have had my first cap on that tour, but I was playing the midweek games, and I always knew I was going to play the midweek games, and I fought my way into the first team. So um, the, the midweeks kind of, like, warm up? Sort of well, sort of like a, like back then, it was like you had an eight or nine match tour, pretty much like the Lions these days. I mean, you played LA, had, you had so you had yeah, a test yeah, match yeah. on the weekend, and then you had a midweek game. So you generally had two teams operating on a tour, and they're like a difficult a crossover way. Yeah. Difficult, right? Because everyone's competing to be in that test team, yeah. and you're fighting like and not physically, but you're like mm. fighting to get that spot. So you that midweek game, if you perform so well in that midweek game, you might get a chance of being selected. You're playing on a Tuesday, Wednesday night, and then you're having to back up to a test on the Wednesday if possible, like if you get selected. But um, I played the first three midweek games. So you play midweek, test, midweek, test, midweek, test. And um, and then uh, yeah, I just kind of was playing some good rugby and, and uh, Hardy just uh, said, right, you're going to be... You, Play, I think he said, play again. Well, play uh, well again for this this weekend. You'll be in the test team, which is the final game against England at Twickenham. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, like again, you know, talk about opportunities and luck. You know, I damaged my ankle in the last five minutes or ten minutes of the game in the midweek game. Uh, completely sprained my ligaments and mm-hmm. uh, and couldn't couldn't oh. couldn't start. You know, mm-hmm. uh, not start. Couldn't be on the bench. Uh, whether I would have gone on because back then you barely got on like I mean unless someone was like bleeding but even then if you went on as a blood replacement it wasn't considered a cap or a test so she would so um, or if someone broke their arm or broke a leg no one went off like there was no there wasn't really the substitution of subs um, but who knows but uh, anyway and then the following year it kind of then I got my first cap and and because the thing about the All Blacks is you can play midweek games, but you're never really a real, a, a true All Black in any other All Blacks' minds, and also what they tell you. You know, like the old guys are like saying you're never a true All Black until you play a, until you play a test match, because the, even the midweek games is a different level of intensity in the test matches, um, and you can feel it and you know it. And once you play a test, you're just like it's another level. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then yeah, it's it's when it's, you played that first time, I assume though you although it's another level again, you feel like I'm not massively out of my comfort zone here I can I can do this no not at all you know like I mean I, I don't remember much of the game but I mean uh, it went really quickly and I didn't really feel out of my comfort zone um, but I just felt like that you know you kind of felt almost like you weren't really there you're kind of there but you kind of like think you're just okay I know that the next I know that the next time I'm going to be better because you thought right now I kind of know what it feels like it's mm-hmm. really weird you know you just kind of you kind of okay I know what this feels like now 
I know the level, I know the preparation, I know the build-up and that sort of stuff. So yeah. it was very, um, yeah. And what was the hacker like that first time then for, yeah, was, for doing a test? I yeah, it was pretty awesome. Some experience. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. The worst thing was, though, again, you know, like injuries, I didn't really have many, but I damaged my knee. So 1998, um, you know, you talk about luck, right? You talk about these things, goes your way and sometimes it doesn't go your way. So 1998... Um, I was the second second best halfback in the country, and the guy ahead of me was Justin Marshall, an awesome, phenomenal scrum half, like so mentally tough and just bloody t- like ruthless as hell. Um, he ruptures Achilles halfway through the Super Rugby season, and then of course, as soon as Super Rugby finishes, it always starts in the beginning of the year. Um, it's currently on now. Um, as soon as Super Rugby finishes, it goes straight to Test matches. Mm. So everyone around me is like, oh, Mark, this is your chance because you can obviously you can start the test matches before it's just reserving. You can start, you get your opportunity. And I was just like, yeah, this is it. And about three games later, uh, I was in South Africa at the time. And I was in um, I was in Bloemfontein, way up in the in the high world, um, and yeah, just completely innocuous. Just went to go run and like went to go step or something, and then I felt this like burst of air come out of my knee didn't hurt didn't anything I was just like it's a bit weird like what what the hell is that and then it just started to just lock a bit lock a bit and then try to play on and then I was just like I couldn't walk got pulled off and I basically um uh tore cut my lateral cut part of my lateral cartilage and also kind of br- tore a bit of the bone in the uh in the femur joint as well right. and I was on crutches for three weeks and on wake bearing and then basically basically put me out of the well supposedly meant to put me out of the all blacks and again we t- i know we're going to talk about concussions and about player welfare a little bit later on but this is it was my first experience of how not to treat a player you know like so i mean that injury should have taken a hell of a lot longer to recover i missed the rest of the super rugby season i was given pay, i think eight weeks to recover and i was thrown straight into a tr- all black trial mm-hmm. because marshy was damaged achilles and they wanted me back um, I could only train once a day because every time I trained, my knee blew up so much. Um, Let's say how long was the injury supposed to oh, be? Oh, I think it was probably or? maybe three months, whatever. Oh, and I came back within like a month and a half, like right. like. Um, and I think that's probably created a bit of irrepar- irreparable damage on it, you know. Yeah, like, right. um, but I also knew I wanted to come back because I didn't want to. I wanted to get that opportunity yeah, to, to play. Yeah. Because it was like my chance, but I just wasn't even. I was eighty or ninety percent right. Um, came back, ended up having to reserve. That was a ninety-eight when I first hit, ended up having to reserve to a guy who I knew I was better than. Um, and then, but was that knowing, mentally tough. Yeah, it was hard, you know, like because I was like, this is my one opportunity. This could have been my opportunity to just stamp. And it was like you know, and so I've had some awesome highs, but that was like a really big low. And then. And then it was like, right, and then once that season finished, I was like, right, okay, I need to build this knee back properly and, and get it get it right for the following year. And then, yeah, kind of, yeah, then it all kind of changed after that, you know, like once I had that one injury, it kind of, it's kind of things were like, okay, that's not quite what I expected. It's like, no. you know, that's kind of. Is that in regard to your body and how your body was reacting and when you go back to training? Yeah, yeah, it just wasn't reacting. Like my, I just, yeah, just, it was. What just I think I think not only that it was also mentally right. like it was like it was a real like it was like just a real bump in the road you know you're like okay so 
now how am I going to manage? How am I going to deal with that? And that was that kind of like on your mind of doing certain, you know, is in certain maybe side steps or something, putting weight on it that you had trust in it. Or yeah, I mean, yeah, a little bit. I mean, uh, it wasn't just that. So at the end of the season, I also had a bilateral adductor release. So both my adductors cut right at the insertion. Such so in your groin. Right on my groin, and that was from all my beach sprinting from previous years because oh, right. on sand you're pushing out okay. all the. Anyway, so I had that operation. So. You know, so end of 98, right? So I'd just been in all backs for the last couple of years. Um, massive opportunity to 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 be a starter. Didn't get the chance. Right, 1999, it's going to be my year. Um, I'm going to come through. I'm going to recover from my groin injury, you know, operation in the off-season. I'm going to, going to build my knee back up. I'm going to just, I'm going to, I'm going to, right, I'm going to come back stronger and better. Um, then I met a girl, and for the first time properly, and then I like properly fell in love. Uh, completely messed up my mind, like Man, completely, yeah. like, was, like completely fucked me up actually. Um, and and I didn't really know. I, I started to, I started to not, I started to not, not necessarily not train as hard, but I started to. I had a distraction. Yeah. Focus wasn't one hundred percent. My focus was one hundred percent. Right, I had a distract. I didn't meant. I wasn't mentally tough enough to be able to manage that distraction, um, and then. Not only that, I was having an internal political battle with a, with a, my Super Rugby team. I moved Super Rugby teams. Um, I was having political because it's it's hard to explain it, but uh, Super Rugby is made up of like um, it's a franchise it's made up of different provinces in that franchise, right? And mm. uh, the Blues Rugby, you had Auckland Auckland as as a province. You had North Harbour, which is my province, which is directly next door, just across the bridge. And then you had Northland, and we kind of covered the, the north. But North Harbour and Auckland hated each other, mm. like hated each other, like to the point where, I mean, some of the political stuff that I went through in my career playing rugby kind of put a really bad taste in my mouth just some of the stuff I saw and, and I was stunned and also that I was exposed to um, so then I had that and I had like basically political battle in terms of fighting with my my competition and the Blues team I was knew I was 100% like something so much better than him but he was playing because he was played for Auckland Province and I played for North Harbour and just there was shit like that yeah. that was happening and it was just like there was a real uh, first time I so 21, 22 you know New love life, yeah. that, that was very much in the public eye as well. Like she was a she was a um, uh, uh, a TV personality. I was a current All Black, like massive in the public eye. Um, not dealing with that very well. My rugby was falling off, falling off a bit. My form was going a bit, and then having to deal with internal political bullshit, basically. Yeah. So it was like, so just in my own head, that when Super came in, yeah. Before that, that was your provincial. Before, yep. Provincial. Oh, yeah, provincial. Yeah. Before New Zealand, when yeah. Super came in, did that kind of sit in the middle, or did that? Well, it sit, sit above. Sit above. Sit above the the sit. Sit above the provincial, and then there was Super Rugby, and then the All Blacks. But back then, uh, all the All Blacks were playing provincial rugby and Super Rugby anyway. Um, now you barely see All Blacks playing provincial rugby. It's very much Super Rugby All Blacks. You know? So that so, what kind of fueled a bit of the, I guess conflict in that sense because what was seen as the top tier. best you could do before yeah. hitting blacks has yeah. now suddenly got another layer in it and they've taken I guess some prestige away from what uh, well yeah eventually they did take prestige away when I was still playing it it never really was because the provincial rugby was still like everyone played wanted to play provincial because it was your heartland it was like okay. yeah. well gosh, I'm playing for North Harbour like, they're my, they my real province whereas sometimes you with the super rugby you got moved to different 
um, franchises just for that Super Rugby season, and then you would move back to your province. So provincial rugby was still had a real uh, heart sort of type of sort of feel to it. Did you have like at that age then at twenty one, twenty two, mentors within either at club or at national level who when either would help to try and get you, let's say, back on track if that's the right quite the right term, or or was there even like now there's so much about sports psychology etc. Were there those facilities around for you to go? Or, or for them to help to try and steer you back on to yeah away from the distractions. Not not necessarily to be honest. I I know that they're like the Crusaders, which is one of the best best super teams, and also the the provincial teams as well. Um, they had a guy called Gilbert Anoka, who was a phenomenal sports psychologist, and I only <laughs> like I only got exposed to him when I left New Zealand and I moved to play for Northampton uh, and. I was the coach in Northampton at the time was Wayne Smith, who was the who was the previous coach of the Crusaders, and also had Gilbert Anoka as a sports psychologist. And the stuff that he did with those players was phenomenal. He also the stuff he did with the All Blacks. I didn't have a sports psychologist, had a mentor, you know, but like it was you kind of really had to figure it out yourself. Yeah, and yeah. and I think I think when I so in nineteen ninety nine I didn't make the All Blacks again. Um, I was sitting number th- number third, and another halfback came through. A guy called Byron Kelleher was actually an awesome, awesome scrum half. Um, and it was just that he came through, and he just he just like I'm going to take that spot now. Um, and it, and that was really hard. Like you know, I had you know you had sponsors, you had a bit of like you know you had a bit of something yeah, about yeah, you yeah. and all that sort of stuff. And it was the first time I ever really got experience to seeing how how insulate and how fickle people were. Right. All of a sudden, like you know, people weren't really sort of giving you much attention. People didn't really want anything, you know. The the calls started stopped coming, right. just like instantly like that got dropped from the All Blacks, and people just stopped really even giving a shit. Right, yeah, yeah. Obviously, not the people that cared, and not yeah, their family, yeah. not. And then it, like it was a, it was an amazing life lesson, you know. Like I was like, right, okay, there's some absolute assholes out there. Like you know, people just want you for you're a commodity, yeah. And people want you for when you're when you're when you're when you're playing and you're in the All Blacks, that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and then when you're not there, they just don't really give a shit. Yeah. And so it's quite who your friends are through that situation. Oh, massively, you know, you learn, you learn, you learn a lot about yourself. Um, and it was, it was, it was a really good thing. Like you know, I, I it broke up with that girl by the end of the season. Got my rugby back on track, track, and uh, and it wasn't her. It was me. Like you know, I just wasn't mentally right. Um, do you think you were at that age? Do you think you were that? You know, if you're 21, do you think you have the maturity of a 21 year old? No, I don't. I, I didn't really. I just, I think, I didn't have maturity in life. I had maturity in rugby, but I didn't yeah. really have it in life. And I, and then, then I, and it kind of got, I got it finally caught up with me and it kind of really just gave me a big slap, actually. You know, yeah. I suppose from 16 and or before that, when you're playing sport, that has just been sport, hasn't it? So yes. Yeah. You throw in all the other factors of life, yeah. all the factors of life, it can knock you off kilter, can't yeah, it? Yeah, no, massively. And it, and it did. Um, and again, it was a, a, a all life lessons for me. But yeah, it was good. So North, you touched on Northampton there and the opportunity to go there. So obviously from that relationship with the, if you say Crusaders, yeah, well, Wayne Smith through that was it. Well, look, I mean, it, it wasn't what I wanted, right? So um, right we're trying now, to wouldn't you want to go to Northampton? No, exactly. <laughs> no, trying to a long place. <laughs> yeah. Long story short, so talking about the political bullshit that was that was the in New Zealand. So. Um, Back then, right, we had contracts. Uh, I had a four-year contract with New Zealand, and uh, and this was 
I think in 2001 or 2002. So it had a four-year contract. Uh, and, but the only the contract was only paid each year if you made super, the Super Rugby team. Sounds stupid. Like, you like it was only, it was only, you only got paid as a professional, top professional rugby player if you made Super Rugby yeah. the following year. So even though you had a four-year contract in New Zealand, it wasn't. So now they've changed that. So now if you sign a four years and that's, let's say that payment is 100K or whatever it is, that's what you've been paid for that four years. So anyway... Um, the, super, the way super rugby teams are selected is at the end of each year, at the end of each, uh, which happens sort of around you know, October, November, at the end of the provincial season, all the super rugby teams get the all the super rugby coaches get together and they go, right, so they basically, so they go, right, I want to protect my top, I think, 15 or 20 players. The super rugby squads, I think, at the time were 35. So I'm going to protect that 20. So those 20 were put into like a protected pot and then all the other players that were playing provincial rugby were put up into this massive big um, uh, like pool of players and the super rugby coaches and with the all-back coaches would go, okay, I need a flanker from there. And they would kind of make sure that the top players, well, what they saw the top players would get a, would get a super, would play super rugby. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was in 2002 um, and I was in one of the protected, one of the protected players for, uh, for the Blues. And about three days before the Blues team was about to be announced, the All Black coach, and haven't just played, sorry, then I fought my way back into the All Blacks, got back in the All Blacks in 2001. Best achievement because I got myself back in there and it was, I found more success and more happiness in that than I did in my when I was younger. Wow. Um, and I'm sort of 26 now. Yeah. Um, and the All Black coach at the time said that, and I had also been out with another knee injury, you know, just for I missed the provincial, most of the provincial season, but it didn't really matter because you should have always been picked for the Super Rugby the following year. Anyway, um, my the All Black coach said uh, to our Blues coach, funny how things work out, his name was Peter Sloan. Um, he ended up coaching me at Northampton a number of years later, so like quite interesting story. So he said to Peter Sloan, right, I'm going to be picked this player uh, for the All Blacks you're not select, You haven't selected him for the Blues. You've selected Mark or this other kid who is unknown, but he played for Auckland. Goes back to political bullshit. Um, you need to make a choice, and you need to, you know. And what I thought would have been put me in and get rid of this other guy, but because Auckland had told this this unknown player that he was going to have Super Rugby if he moved to Auckland, oh. they they kept those two. So three days before the Super Rugby teams were about to be announced, I was all of a sudden found myself. Not selected for Super Rugby, having just been in the All Blacks for the previous three yeah, years. Right, yeah, like, I mean, talk about it was probably, and I remember this feeling now. It was the worst feeling I've ever felt in my life. It was literally, I got a phone call and I got told from someone out, not my, not the coach, and it was like my world had ended. And I went and I rang every single coach of the Super Rugby provinces and said, and they all knew what had happened. And I said, and they said, mate, I'm so sorry. I've already told my nines that yeah, right. I can't select you. Um, and then that announcement got so much media attention because they were like, how can this happen? Yeah. Um, we sued the rugby union. Right. Yeah, so myself and my lawyer, we attempted to sue the New Zealand rugby union we, for restraint of trade. Because I was protected, they restricted yeah, me yeah. from being selected by anyone else. Um, we went through a massive thing with my, my lawyers and that. Uh, we settled out of court. Um just really put a really bad taste in my mouth, like a mess, like I just... Didn't want to. I, did, I have real. Well, just, you go back to being a kid, and all you want to do is play yeah. rugby. It's all about just playing rugby, isn't it? Just it's got really treated it's... like absolute crap, and I was just like, I'm not having this. Um, uh, and then so settled out, and that's why we wanted to sue the rugby union. Um, settled out of court, got massive public. I couldn't go anywhere like public. Like I mean, I'd walk down the street. I mean, talk about 
like so humbly and you'd walk down the street and people would be like I can't believe what's happened to you I'm so sorry like it didn't matter where I went people would be like I'm so they sorry on your side yeah. for one oh, massive, on, yeah. massive on your side and then that's what obviously happened like brought on the Northampton thing so I was like right I want to get out of New Zealand did did that change? Did anything actually come out the back of that? And they're, they're, or are they still using that kind no, of? No, no, no. So that changed. So we, so we changed the whole way they did the legal, the the the, the agreements after that. So that after that, we we said you cannot keep players like this. You can't. I, I mean, I was one of the most high profile ones, but that that there's this been happening for years. Yeah, you, know, you, just, you can only imagine it's been happening with other players where they've been mixed in and out. They've been kind of basically like yo-yo. They're like, to, like they're a commodity. A one minute I'm going to trade you, the next minute I'm not. You know, like it's absolutely stupid how the, how it was. So they changed that. So it was like if you had a three-year contract, a four-year contract, no matter if you weren't selected or not, you were paid, mm-hmm. uh, which is the way it should be, which is normal employment law. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. so, so you came over to Northampton. Yeah. So um, my agent at the time went uh, said, right, let's go have a bit of a look and. Uh, um, yeah, I had about a handful of clubs that were were, were instantly interested, and then Northampton at the time uh, was coached by Wayne Smith, who was a former, who'd coached me for the All Black. He was like, "Right, yeah, I want you to come over." Uh, they flew me over. I mean, I had a look at New York as well. New York was just rugby club was just was looking was just trying to. They were semi not semi pro, but they were interested. I remember stopping at New York on the way home. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was just cool. Actually, I just kind of got to have a bit of a look around and and just kind of. Uh, got an opportunity, and then the the, the Northampton was yeah it was perfect, um, and and I was just everything about it just seemed right. Yeah. Really good family club, uh, the coaches obviously loved, um, and I wanted to work with Smithy because I never never been coached on a provincial level or a club level, uh, so I was just I was really excited by it, and I was also again it's opportunities, you know, it's like it was my opportunity to like go, I'm out of New Zealand, I'm done with it, I need to build a new life. I was 27 years old. And I had so much rugby left to me that I was like, right, I'm going to make a, re- I'm going to make a real opportunity of this. Yeah, kind of not quite a clean slate, but a clean start. A clean start, yeah. definitely not a clean slate. But yeah. uh, I eventually got over it. So, yeah. and then, uh, like a few years later, Peter Sloan ended up coaching Northampton. Oh, right. <laughs> Come okay. over. First thing I did because he called, he called me to tell me I wasn't going to be in the Blues, and it was, it was the most, it was the most kind of, uh, it was a, a, just a weird call because. When he called me Mark, he just was really formal, and I was just like, it was absolute bullshit what he was saying. Anyway, so when he moved over to Northampton, was a coach, I went straight into his office, I basically said, right, let's just clear there. I thought what you did was an absolute, you know, yeah, absolute yeah, yeah. twat. I said, you know, you shouldn't have done this. He kind of admitted it, cleared the air, and I said, shook his hand, I said, right, okay, let's play rugby. Because right, yeah, 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 <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. the last thing I wanted, I just needed to get that off my chest. Yeah, as well. yeah, maybe, yeah, yeah. Like you say, uh, kind of, Put the ghost to rest to a point. Exactly, yeah. And just coming out and playing in Northampton or outside of New Zealand, does that have an impact on being selected still in the All Blacks? Yeah, so once you leave, you're no longer allowed to be selected. So I was 27 and that was it. I left um, no longer allowed to be selected and that was kind of my, that was it. I was. Is that still the case the way they were? Yeah, still the case now, yeah. Okay. Yeah, just protect the players in New Zealand. It's good, it's a good thing. Trust me, we have a lot of talent in New Zealand. You don't need to go out elsewhere to sort of be better. Oh, yeah, that was more just for your side. I appreciate the kind of things that have happened prior to that. Yeah. To still turn around and say, right, something you've been looking to for so long beforehand and playing and living and breathing to, to make that conscious decision of, 
I'm I'm gonna hang yeah. that side up and concentrate elsewhere. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, I just yeah. I mean, it was difficult. Trust oh, me, no. it was incredibly difficult. Oh, sure, yeah. yeah. But I was hurt. Do you know what I mean? Like I was like really, really hurt, and I was just like, right, I need a I need a new challenge. Um, I've always looked for life and challenges and that sort of stuff, and I just needed that new challenge. And and Northampton presented it. Um, and had a fantastic run with it and just played some of my best rugby actually under a really good environment and the club and the supporters. Um, I still see people now that are from Northampton and they still come up and say hello. You know, it's just there's such a nice affinity with it. So yeah. And it's the setup when you come come to the UK and play similar type in regard to the way they train. Is that yep. similar to what you get? I mean, like we're playing rugby, you know, like it's yeah, all yeah. unknown. Difference is you play rugby in the UK, September, October, a little bit of November, and then you play wet weather. And it's just ball. It's just basically 10-man rugby. It was a different game, you know, but I was a physical halfback and quite aggressive. So um, it kind of suited the English game, I think. And so, you know, I kind of took that on quite well. So I, my style of rugby suited the, the English style. So it was actually quite good. And what would the highlight be from if you look back at your time there? Um, yeah, I mean, we, I mean, uh, didn't actually, I mean, we didn't actually win anything, but uh, um, just I think the first year we made the semi-finals. I was I was selected for the for the Premiership Player of the Year. Right. Okay. Um, I'm selected by other players. Um, I imagine that's one of the biggest honours as well. Yeah, players, like yeah, that. selected by all the players in, in the Premiership playing, and and I was um, and just missed out on that. Um, I think the biggest highlight for me was just um, the opportunity you know like yeah. it really was like it was just like uh, I had a chance and also it taught me that you just New Zealand's such a bubble it's such a small insulated bubble where you like protected from the rest of the world you know you, rugby's, every, rugby's life in New Zealand and you know, like the media you can't do anything without everyone watching you and I got to just couldn't do anything you know we're in, New Z- in Northampton you're completely anonymous which is in a way you know like you're quite yeah. nice you can go down London you, no one knows you like you just all of a sudden were okay I can kind of be me again yeah, yeah, you know like yeah. you kind of you kind of like okay this is what it's like to sort of just relax a bit and just kind of live life a bit so it's quite in yeah, that yeah. respect and meet new friends and from different walks of life and then see the I finally I think I finally realized okay this is the real world because you know you're influenced by financial markets and the UK government like you know it's such a big yeah. it's such a big sort of um uh, powerful sort of nation that, you know, you forget about a small little country in New Zealand, beautiful as it is, but you kind of, you're just tucked away down the bottom there and you're not really, you're not, no one really kind of, sort of, you kind of forgotten down there a little bit. I'm interested to know then, just to go back a few years, when you're in the press in New Zealand and, you know, there's a lot of coverage around that. Do you, do you read papers? Do you, was, was your mindset just to ignore it all? Or? Um, it's hard, you know, like you speak of like player welfare now and you speak of like, reading stuff you know it's hard when you read stuff that's written negative negative um and it, and it was never and it, and it did now. happen it yeah. did happen of course you know because people expected you to do certain things it wasn't just that you know like there's also the comments from people after you play they're like oh you played like shit today and you're like thinking you know, actually i feel like i had my best game but because you didn't score a try because you didn't do this because you didn't do that whatever it was you know and then other people were great but my mum my mum and dad my dad not so much but my mum used to hate watching me play because she'd be in a crowd and if you'd made a mistake, the abuse that you would get, um, and of course, if you got hurt. So, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. but yeah, it was that was hard. But we, we didn't have social media, so I like 
I was shielded, we were shielded in that respect. We didn't know anything else, really, yeah, but yeah. The, the media were quite brutal at times, for sure. How do you think if you were doing that today, if you were 21 today with social media? I think I'd probably not go on social media. Yeah, right. I yeah. just think it's just it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. It's, it can, you can use it in the way that you can build your brand and you can build your business. But if you just focus on rugby and you want to just play rugby, you just like just you want to remove yourself. Yeah, from, those other things you primarily come along. Anyway, exactly. Yeah, yeah. If you're looking to be judged on social media, then and being then you you're, you're looking in the wrong place yeah, for sure. Yeah. I know, my I mean, Matt and I are just fun bikers, uh, cyclists. But uh, <laughs> I know if if I certainly my younger age, if I, if I, if I've ever been in that environment, would have killed me. That yeah. Just the, the if I'd been getting abuse or stick or whatever. Right? Yeah. Just. I wouldn't have been able to handle it. No, definitely. It's tough, man. I feel sorry for a lot of the guys playing now. And I speak to a lot of the former players now and uh, and guys just retiring, you know, and there are, there's a lot more challenges. Well, maybe they're different, but I know, but they're just like... I think they're just. I think they're different. They're yeah, challenges different. everywhere, aren't they? But yeah, definitely. Yeah. So you moved on then to Wasps. Yeah, so I moved to Wasps. So I was always... So, I, so when I... When I rugby first turned professional and, and for me, 96, 97... I finally was able to put myself through university. Um, right. So I put myself through university, studied part-time for nine years, did like a business finance degree. Okay. Um, played difficult, tra- like play, you know, doing tests and just else like in different countries and studying and that sort of stuff. It's quite had to be massively disciplined. But um, was for me, it was near the end of my career and I always knew I was going to retire in a couple of years. So I signed a two-year deal. I wanted to be in London because I wanted to go into the financial markets. I wanted to go and trade or be in the city. Right. Um, so it was a bit of a like, okay, cool, I just was out of Northampton, yeah. I'm going to go to London and just kind of really start networking and get my contacts and get myself set up for life after rugby. Um, so that was the move to Wasps. Didn't quite work out that way because within the first year, um, again, my knee just decided to completely pack it in. Mm. Um, just years of pounding. Yeah, I just, yeah, just years of abuse, you know, like it just, just, just uh, my body just broke down it only happened after about the first six months at wasps and it was you know i just you mentioned before about that confidence not being able to do anything all of a sudden i'd make a break and i'd be caught within a few few meters mm. and i'd be like hang on a second this is not meant to happen you know what i mean like yeah. and i was just like i just felt like i'd just and i was only 32 and i felt like i just lost a bit of pace um or 32 33 at the time and uh and then and just my knee started playing up, and then by the end of the got through the end of the season. By the end of the season, like this, just went for a surgeon. He was like, "Right, you're done. Like your yeah. knee is completely stuffed. Like yeah. you're degenerative. You're bone on bone. Like you know, like you just you need to stop. We're gonna have an operation. We're gonna clean it out." And I said, "Cool." And he and I said, and "He said you're not you're not gonna be able to play rugby again." I said, "Well, what if I did? What would be my recovery?" And he said, six months." I said, "Okay, I'll give it six months." So I was like, "Right, I'm gonna prove you wrong." <laughs> this six months rehab. Um, came back, played for three months, and then went back and saw him. And he said, "If you don't stop now, you're going to do long-term damage." Right. So then I was like, "Okay, I better stop now." Yeah, like yeah. it was because it was still playing up for me, but I just wanted to get back. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So it was a bit of that a disjoint. Yeah, just that drive and that like desire to also to prove wasps that I like I was the player that they signed. Yeah. Um, it didn't didn't really um, crystallize because of just my body breaking down, and that was probably my biggest disappointment about the end of my career was that. Didn't get to like go into a new club. You just want to prove yourself, and yeah. I kind of did in a way, and I had a respect there from the guys because of what I'd, what I'd done at Northampton. But I just wanted to do it with those sort of guys, yeah. and I and I did it, but not to my full capability. I think. And 
And you obviously talked there about looking to get into the financial side. Yeah. Was there ever thoughts of going into coaching or anything like that? No, I just didn't want to. Right. I just wanted to break from rugby. Right. I'd been by the time I retired, I'd been professional for fourteen and a half years yeah. and playing since you were five. Yeah, and I yeah. just wanted a break. And um, so I always had a plan, right? Like I always knew what I wanted to do life after rugby. I always just knew what I wanted, um, and always had a plan. I always was very diligent through my whole career and setting goals and objectives every season so I had a really clear plan and really clear objectives uh, and then right, I had a clear plan of like and that's in and out of rugby in and out of rugby yes I was like okay so we're going to retire um, I need to go work in the city so I was doing placements in the city working mm-hmm. um, I was studying the financial um, exams to work in the city um, that were bloody hard because I was still playing rugby and training at the time I was just trying to like all the derivatives and securities and even just regulation mm-hmm. It's hard, and yeah. uh, and so past those, so I was like, right, I can actually work in the city now. And I did a placement um, at a bank, Credit Suisse, um, and after the week, the 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 head of the the head of the floor basically sort of said, oh, I'd take you home. So I, he didn't live that far. Jumped in his, uh, I think it was a 911 Porsche, whatever it was. I was like, this is pretty cool. Like, you know, anyway, drove me home and he said, He's probably thinking the same though. I've got all black in the car here. (laughs) Well, that was what it was like though. So I was doing placements and everyone wanted to talk about the all blacks and rugby and that. And I'm like, going, okay, tell me about the financial markets. And you listen, and like, you just were completely out of your, like, to tell you about, talk about out of depth. Like, I've never felt so out of depth and so out of place in my life. Um, And this guy offered me a job. He said, We want you to, this is 2010. Uh, two years after the financial yeah. crash and he goes uh, uh, you're going to take this guy's place on the desk he's about to leave um, we'd love to have you we'll train you up we we'll take a couple of years but you know you eventually get there and you know you just need to work hard and you know you're in the office at 7 6 six forty-five every morning and you're home at 6 like yeah. that's pretty much it like you know the way it's just like okay no dramas I'm in there uh, yep done um, and then two weeks before I was about to start he basically rang me and said, look, I'm really sorry. Um, I've left the company, left the bank. Yeah. I've gone to JP Morgan. I've gone to hire, I've gone to basically cull everyone and clean up the whole JP Morgan floor. Right. Uh, your your job's not there anymore. But the, the, the whole desk is gone, about two people. And I was like, oh, oh. shit. <laughs> um, I, had other, I had two other job offers, but I wanted to work. It was like, again, it comes back to that when, you know, when, when I didn't, getting the All Blacks at the start and that, that little blockage I just I was so driven for it and so wanted this this job that the thought of doing something else I was like no I'm not, I'm not happy with that and I was just like well what am I going to do now and I actually just took three years off oh right okay. <laughs> yeah it was, a, it was a big it was a big confidence shock and it was probably the first time I ever really questioned a lot about myself and questioned a lot about my mind and questioned a lot about who I was and my identity just que- a lot of questions you know and I like just didn't really know. I was like, okay, this is not what life is like. Oh, this is thrown into the real world, and it's brutal. Mm-hmm. Like, and I the first ch- time I really ever got to experience just that you really are just a number, and no one really cares. And there's a different life and different. You know, you, you it's like you're so sheltered in rugby, and you're so institutionalized in rugby that you just don't even realize it until you get out of it, and then you're just like, well, this life, this is just. This is panic. Like this is this is some serious shit. In those three years, where were you? I was in London, but right. I went I went back to London a little bit, and I just I just don't know. I just was I just kind of was. How were your days going past? Were you just uh, out? I was trying to trade. Like I was trying to like do physical trading. I, I somehow moved into like physical like gold trading okay. and like an oil. 
which was I didn't lose any money but God, fuck, like, so I dealt with some absolute idiots and just I was and some people just trying to rip everyone off, and I was just like, "Well, what the hell is going on here?" Like I didn't, I just didn't, and I didn't know what I was doing. I actually didn't know what the hell I was doing. I was just trying to wing it um, with no real knowledge, and it was just like, and it was just another again. And I was just trying to do that, um, and then just you know, just I was just going out a lot and just actually just enjoying myself right. as well. You're still doing any kind of like then. You had enough of any sport, or would you do a no. bit of running, nothing? Just Couldn't do anything. Completely. My knee was yeah, yeah, my right. knee was screwed. Didn't, I wasn't even doing anything. Bike, no, wasn't doing anything. Right. Not even biking. Wasn't even right. cycling at the time. Do you think looking back, like because people talk about how it's good for your sort of mental health as well, exercise as well as your health yeah. in general? Do you think that you talk about that kind of three years of kind of just being around, but not not exercising, maybe didn't help either. Oh yeah, completely. You know, I went through some pretty bad times, and I questioned a lot about myself, a lot about my mental side. Um, you know, I just had a few moments where I just, you know, just really struggled. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you had bits of fr- friends and family around. I had no, fr- I had no family. So I mean, I obviously had friends, but my friends played rugby, and then I had another yeah. group of friends. You kind uh, of avoid rugby at this time as well, was it? Kind of don't even want to watch it on TV. Oh no, was, I couldn't really go watch. I was avoiding watching, watching physically watching playing but um yeah i don't know i just was trying to i was trying to get involved in this physical side of the the this trading or brokering i thought well, i'm gonna give this a good go you know but it really wasn't I, again i was just a little bit naive no real life you know if someone had have grabbed me when i was younger not younger near the end of my career and gone okay right this is the path you should probably take and why don't you have all that why don't you have a look at these three or four paths there's no real guidance right i was so fixated on banking or broking um that it, when it didn't happen even though i had two other jobs offered that were in the broker broker shops that were like keen as mustard mm. i just don't know what it was i just i just like i just think i I just questioned myself and I was like, and I took it as a real shell shock and I just kind of was like, right, I just, I shut up shop. I buried my head and I basically just kind of like, right, if I just kind of bury my head for a while, maybe something might happen. It was like, I got, I kind of went against everything I'd ever previously done in my life where I just fought, fought, fought and I'm going to do more, I'm going to do more. All of a sudden I just kind of just buried my head. I was like, right, maybe someone will just give me a job. And that's kind of, which was so unlike me to think that. I was like, well, maybe this this magical opportunity is just going to happen. It was just like, you yeah. know, it was a bit different to how Sometimes I even thought. Get, I guess it gets tiring as well, like continued sort of drive. It can get, I'm sure it can get tiring of what's my next goal, what's my next goal, which yeah. is all good and important things. But, you know, I imagine after a while, a certain times, certainly if you're getting, again, you're getting the, use the word knockback, it's probably not quite the right term, but yeah, uh, it's hard. So what at the end of those three years? Um, but so then, what, yeah, what I mean, I was hemorrhaging, hemorrhaging cash at the time. I was no. like, living in London, it was absolutely expensive, but... uh I was like, you know what? Like, I just kind of had a had a moment, and I was like, right, this this physical side is not really working. I need to actually, um, I need to do so. I need to really get myself into something. And I was good. I got that. I kind of found myself again. I got that right. I need to get yeah. back out there. Mm-hmm. Went and saw the company um, uh, broker broker dealer shop that I paid off my job previously, and I said, went back in. Said I uh, saw the head boss. And I said we had a bit of chat, and I chat, and I said, look, you know what's what's available at the moment. Uh, this is 2013. You know, financial markets were still a bit unstable, so we just kind of re- rebuilding, real re- regrowing. Um, and he said, "Look, at the moment, I don't have any, anything on the on the office." He said, "But I've got something that might might work for you." And I was like, "Okay." He said, "Look, we want to set up a desk out in South Africa, out in Johannesburg." Uh, and he was like, uh, "He said, would you be keen?" 
I was like, I said, oh, okay, just give me a, give me a day to think about it. It kind of gave me the details. I thought about it, um, came back, and I was like, right, yeah, I'm in. You know, and it was like we basically we were trading, uh, we broke a deal in uh, fixed income, which is South African government bonds, and the desk were doing it in London, but they needed to set up an office in South Africa, in Joburg. And so it was an opportunity for me, to, so I went out to help set up the office, and obviously being an all black, and that worked because, like, South Africans love rugby more than your than the New Zealanders, um, and it was just a good fit. And they so they so I negotiated my contract. Um, they obviously relocated everything out there, um, moved me out after so I worked in the office in London for three and a half four months, uh, which was a great experience as well. Uh, and then moved out to set to help to go to South Africa and like start this new venture. And I was like, this is awesome. Um, needless to say, like there was a few challenges in that as well. Like, oh man, it was just. I think it was it was going to fail from the very beginning, but but what I was doing wasn't failing. Like I was, because of my rugby, because of the person I was. Like I was just I was trying to grow business, and I was growing business, or bringing new business in. Yeah. But just the business, the way it was set up, and the way it was set up with London and the office in London, it was just kind of it was just disjointed. But one of the best experiences I had because it was my first proper proper job outside of rugby. Uh, and the financial market's ruthless, completely brutal environment. Very like, you know, like if you made a mistake, like cost millions, um, and you got told, and you got, and you got, you got, you basically got abused for it. Mm. Um, Learned, like really just taught me, the guy who was my boss in London, who was a complete asshole, but in a good way, like he just, he just, just like completely ruthless, like so driven to, to make sure, you know, just what he did. Um, taught me a lot of actually things about uh, how to just how to just deal with situations and the kind of the the, the it kind of almost taught me work lessons as opposed yeah, yeah. to like yeah, yeah. as opposed to rugby lessons. So um, and then and then I met my um, my partner Holly um, in my first year because I was going back to London back and forth. We were talking about this earlier mm. and uh, and uh, yeah and then within about sort of three or four months she fell pregnant and I was. 39 going on my my 40th year and I was basically doing the same thing that I've been doing for so many years been a complete bloody like Lothario playboy and just being a like you know just as I kind of mentioned like rolling the dice so much and just yeah, yeah. being a just being completely um, frivolous with, with my behavior and everything um, and the good yeah. Manx girl calmed you down and a good Manx girl sort of kind of really calmed me down it was interesting I obviously didn't know anything I was like Oh, the man, like, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, and she just calmed me down, had the baby. I went, right, I'm going to make a go of this. I mean, I honestly, like, and I say this quite candidly, I could, I've like had some absolute slappers in my time. <laughs> you know, she could have been anyone, she could have been a gold digger, she could have been anyone, she could have been whatever. She wasn't, and uh, she was just from a good family, just such a beautiful person, and um, and how she's put up with me for so long because I had a lot of obviously a lot of history and a lot of skeletons in my closet and I for the first time in my life with her I actually kind of opened up right. about everything yes. yeah. uh, first person I've ever done that to yeah. like and that's a very difficult thing to do just complete open my closet really and it was yeah, like yeah. complete vulnerability uh, and I, th- I had to do that because I had to if I was going to make a real go of it I needed her to just know everything yeah, yeah, yeah. that was quite hard to do um 
I think it was hard for her to accept a lot of the stuff I had like that had gone on in my life and everything because uh, she then had to make a decision well you know obviously she stuck with me but yeah. uh, we have two beautiful girls now and I'm, I'm now living on the Isle of Man so yeah, it's right. kind of uh, kind of worked out alright but I just she dragged I, you back here in the end though, yeah so. I needed it do you know what I mean oh. like I needed someone like her to come along and actually change me for oh. the better because I needed uh, I needed I needed that stability I needed that uh, I needed someone to be supportive and be in my life and I never really had that previously yeah. and I think that um and I look at what I've done now and look at like the work I'm doing now with micro gaming who I'm currently working for and who I moved over when I, we moved over here they shipped me over as well um, and I'm probably in my best mindset and my best like working capabilities and I've just it's I just sort of think, do you know what I mean? I'm content, and I sort of think, if I had been like that when I was playing rugby, and I had that when I was playing rugby, and I wasn't chasing like you know like yeah. the stories I could tell you when I was playing, I was exposed to such a different lifestyle at such a young age. Um, you know, guys married, everything. You know, they go away on tour and they're shagging anything that moves. Like every, you know, there were just okay. the shit that I saw. It just knocks your compass off a little bit, I guess. Well, you know, my, my compass almost. My, my compass. Well. My compass was so different to everyone else's you know and and i just never really relied on anyone i always I was always myself i was always so selfish um it was like me like i just had to so you know like that driven like yeah, yeah. like um uh and i just sort of think yeah i just wish i had that stability like being content not having to chase this stuff and i look at yeah, yeah. some of the best athletes some of the best athletes and some of the best even rugby players and 90 percent of them have had a relationship and are married, have children, and actually have that stability at home. Yeah, yeah. That didn't have that distraction of always feeling like they had to go out with the boys and go and chase yeah. skirt and chase whatever, like you know, and always missing out and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, and they're some of the most successful. And that something to be said about having that stable life at home that helps. You can just sure. mean you can focus on that one thing and just that's that allows you to do that and that that kind of your appreciation of that as that comes through you just kind of learning about yourself or what educating yourself as well or is it more a lot of just thinking just and talking yeah just the, learning just, just learning about myself i think just being i think accepting myself for who i was and who i am and um question i've just questioned my life i've questioned myself my whole life because every time you play a game you analyze yourself, you analyze what you did wrong. You're never looking at the positives. You know, like I have so many flashbacks now of my career and I always remember the bad past. I always remember doing this wrong. Oh, really? Right. And it's really weird. I don't remember the good stuff because right. I was so cr- critical of myself when playing so I always want to be better and I always made sure that like, have that's my areas to work on or to work on them. It's really, of course I do remember some of the good stuff but like it's always just kind of get these weird flashbacks. I'm like, what am I remembering? Like that shit past that I did, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like what the hell is all that about, you know? But um, yeah, I just become a little bit more. Yeah, I just accepted myself for who I who yeah, I yeah. was and who I am, and and um, and what I achieved, and and what I've gone through, and the ups and downs, and the struggles, and the mental struggles, and and the development, and then what, I've, and then actually sort of a little bit of self appreciation. I, I don't, I've never really appreciated what I've done before. I, when I played rugby, I never really enjoyed it. That sounds really bizarre, but it's like you're so focused on what you were doing, you never really stopped and just went, yeah, it's exactly, mate. You just never stopped and went, you know what? I've actually done pretty well, or I've actually this is awesome because you were so concerned about 
looking over your shoulder and the you know you were just anyone would take your spot you were so competitive that you just didn't have a chance to actually sit back and actually enjoy it it was really such a such an irony of everything you know <laughs> like you just can't enjoy what something that's so amazing three three or four episodes we were chatting with a local guy christian varley he's a cyclist or yeah yeah i've met him before yeah and uh he was similar where great achievements of you know he, he went to the ironman at and he really learned to swim like nine months before and was at elite level really at, at Kona and just talked about ultimately there was n- in a, n- I wouldn't say in a negative way but there was no I got there in nine months it was amazing to, to achieve something in such a short space of time uh, it was kind of that negative and he talks about it now when he looks back he never really enjoyed racing his bike you know, most of his career was kind of bike racing yeah. at different levels within off island and GB and and then on Ireland in America, and he ne- looking back, he said, never really enjoyed it. Yeah. And even recently, having just finished Kona, he said, I enjoyed the process of training, but the actual events and stuff, I just didn't enjoy. And that's therefore never appreciated yeah. what I did. And therefore, when I look back on, on my career, it's still quite hard to appreciate. I think he's coming around more to appreciate, and he, yeah. he did great things, but maybe similar. I think one of the like one of the main character characteristics I've been in All Black and uh, is humility. Like you know, the characters, humility and discipline are two two character characters that you, traits that you need to have, and being and being humble and being and 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 showing humility is just. I think you just you, you never really appreciate what you've got because it's just like oh I'm only here for such a short time. Like the jersey that you wear, the all black jersey, you're only borrowing that jersey. You know my provincial jersey, my super, I'm only I knew it was only it was so precious. I had such a small amount of time that I want to do everything possible for that jersey for that time. That you were so as I again fixated, driven, and just so wanting to succeed and never let never let anyone else down down because they expected so much of you never want to let yourself down that you just you did yeah. you just never you forgot to you're so like like i just so appreciative of everything that i never really took the time to actually sit back and actually really enjoy it because you thought well that's not being humble that's not i can't really enjoy this yeah, because yeah. it was kind of almost like it was almost kind of conflicted it conflicted within, within yourself so um but yeah, it's the, the bit uh, I read about the hack and partly about the hack and talk about the All Blacks was that you mentioned there the the jersey that it's very yeah. much when you take the jersey, <clears throat> it's about you've taken it from someone else and your job's to look after it, make it better in essence, and pass it on massively. And that's installed from you from the old guys as well. Right. From the as soon as you get that jersey, and you know, I got my jersey handed to me from um, from an ex player, and he was like. You know, my, one of the things was one of my first jerseys when I was on tour. And it was actually sorry, one of the 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 current All Blacks on tour, one of the old boys um, who'd been there for a while. And his first words were, and his words were, you "Just you make sure you respect this jersey and you play well. You, uh, you don't don't just you know, don't just respect this jersey yeah, yeah. and you hold it just like going like yeah, like, never, like, like never, never, you know. Yeah, yeah. And that was the expectation. And there was a public expectation. There was personal, but there was teammates. That, the, the the expectation that you had when you got to that level was just on another level yeah, of, yeah. of of pressure. Um, yeah, a lot of external pressure before you even got to any internal yeah. pressure. Yeah, or stepping over the line onto yeah. the pitch. Yeah. yeah, so like I mean, it's I learned how to deal a lot with pressure. Mm. Um, so like pressure now doesn't really bother me so much. I, like you know, it's I, I deal with it, but uh, I sometimes probably go within if I if I'm under pressure at work, I just kind of go within. I just like I'm right, I'm right to the grindstone. I'm yeah, just yeah. like because I know. But um, do you yeah. think looking back, where you talk about perhaps other players misbehaving, you talk about that jersey and what it represents. Did you look at that those situations and think 
it didn't quite balance with what what we're trying to push to the kind of ourselves and internal no, to them. No, because it was like a it was just a release, you know. It right. was just no, no. I mean, not at all. He never really connected the two, to be honest. Um, it wasn't a, a straight line between tw- right. between each one. Um, no, he just. I mean, that was a lifestyle, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, like. Yeah. You're playing for the All Blacks. I mean, it was just literally everything was given for, yeah, given to you. Sure, I mean, like yeah. the, you, like you went out and like it was just, it was yeah, it no, was just it was yeah. the girls were there. It was just everything was there. You know, like I mean, well, I don't understand that. <laughs> <I guess. laughs> but, yeah, but it was just you know, and it didn't really matter what you looked like or who you were. It was like the fact you were playing for the All Blacks was yeah. just you know, like it was it was there on a platter half the time, and, and guys obviously abused that, and yeah, um, yeah. and you know, and I was one of them as well. You know, back when I was you know as young, you know, you just like yeah, of course, yeah, didn't yeah. yeah really think about it. So you involved with rugby on the island now? Are you getting? Um, I'm not not so much this year. So when I moved over. Um, uh, the rugby coach in Ireland uh, for the uh, for the Douglas Rugby Club is a guy called Carl Murray, who's a Kiwi guy, um, and he had just come to the island in 2016 when I arrived. So it was good timing actually, and uh, and he brought a really good approach to the club, brought some professional professionalism, and I came along and I just said, listen, I can't commit too much because I've just got my little daughter um, I just want to get used to the island but I'll, I'll send the assistant coach and I said to him at the time I was like right I mean I'll probably just come down once a month whatever and just help out there every training you know every, every the home games uh, and I actually just got right into it and I actually just really enjoyed it because I gave something back yeah. to rugby and I hadn't really done that for a long time um, and it was great I just and the good thing was, like when you said to these guys, okay, like 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 the scrum halves, uh, Sean Wiley at the time, you know, and uh, such a good player, um, just like just changed his passing, and he just listened to everything, and he trained it, and he worked on it, he worked on it, and all of a sudden his passing got better and better, mm-hmm. and you're like, you know, like whereas if you say something to someone else who thinks that the that the the they've achieved or done whatever, yeah, they yeah. either don't listen or they're like, oh yeah, whatever, you know, yeah, like you know, yeah, but yeah. they like they just like these guys just absorbed everything that myself and Carl kind of told them and we taught them and they just changed the way they rag- played rugby like Carl brought in a structure and I, I helped with that but it was more just basically about the skills and about just mm-hmm. trying to give a bit of guidance and help out um, and help coach them for three years or assistant coach for three years and it was, it was fantastic loved it uh, loved every minute of it but we had our second child um, my work commitments just really picked up I started travelling a lot more work and a lot more pressure on with it within the company um, that I just kind of had this season I had to just step away and yeah. uh, plus I mean typical being on the island I got involved in cycling I started, <laughs> I started swimming I want to do a triathlon I want to do Ironman or I can't right. run and I was like well I've got my missus just like goes to me because like Mark, you know, like you can't do everything. Like you know, you've got to. You can't cycle. You can't swim. You can't look after the kids. You've got to have time for us. You know, all of a sudden, I was like juggling so many things. I'm like, all right, something's got to give. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. I'll, I'll get rid of the football and then the you other know, rugby and then um and just and then I can have some time for the family. So yeah, if when yeah. I do go out for a cycle, when I go, do go away, I can actually enjoy it. So. And what's I mean? You're obviously not going to say poor, but the standard of rugby over here. What is it? How is that? Like? Well, I mean, we not knowing uh, myself remotely. Yeah, well, in our first season, we got promoted up to the next level, um, and that was great. And that that level is actually half decent. Um, when you start getting dropped below, below, it's really, really amateur, really social rugby, right. and and it's nothing wrong with it um, because guys. I mean, there's some great you know camaraderie and some great clubs. You know, yeah. just playing the training. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just yeah. a chance to get out and do stuff. That's in the higher leagues that's playing away regularly yeah so they because they play in the cheshire division they travel like, as a home and away like so either there's either one side coming over or there's 
you know, you were travelling, but I never travelled with the team. I just did, you know, just oh, the home right. games. But um, yeah, it was I good. I thought they'd run you along. They'd be like, got a whole black on the side, <laughs> extra sort of puff of the chest. I thought. Yeah, I mean, I look at the. I mean, I loved the guys. I loved the the players, and there's some great school. There's actually some great players in that team. Yeah. There really, really is, and they just listen and they really absorbed and talk everything. And I think that's what I really respected the most was that. Um, they listen to what you say and you can see them applying it and yeah, you can yeah. see it working and almost like they clicked and are like going oh shit this actually this, this works you know and so you can make with small little changes you can make some big you can make a big, big difference, difference yeah. and it made a big difference to the players um, and well I think it did anyway and I hope it did um, and made some really good friends from it as well and it was good for me to get back to the, to the, to the local club yeah so then uh, I was going to talk about uh, concussion we talked about earlier yeah. well-being and general so so during your rugby career I mean Matt and I are both big American football fans yeah. obviously concussions maybe led the way in some ways in, in, in the world of, of sort of head head trauma yeah certainly in that sport it was it was you know as a player I think they pretty much ignored it because they didn't want to lose their spot you talked earlier about once you get your opportunity you don't want to lose it yeah definitely so is that was that the environment you're in not that perhaps you were aware of the the impact of concussions so much back then I guess it's certainly a lot more in the headlines now yeah I mean um, regardless of whether regardless of whether the game's changed and it has a little bit you've still got a knock to the head you know so that hasn't changed at all and it doesn't matter if some guy's running at you 100 miles an hour or whatever though you still took a knock and you still got concussed and um do you believe you got concussed? Oh, I got concussed so many times right. like so many times um oh yeah like, I mean I I mean, it's a really like a, like talk about welfare. It just wasn't there, right? Because two two things, you didn't want to not play because you didn't want to lose your spot. Yeah. But also, um, you know, it just wasn't there. So, uh, I mean, bef- I remember getting my cheekbone fractured in a game, a Super Rugby game, and I, uh, about twenty minutes, or I yeah, maybe twenty five minutes, thirty minutes into the game, and I kept having air bubbles blow up into my eye, to my right eye. And I went to the sideline and I said to the doctor, and I said, look, I said, mate, I keep getting bloody air come up into my into my eye. I said, I don't know what the fuck's going on. And I'm, I'm obviously my eye at the time was so swollen because I took a bad bang to it. And the doctor goes, don't tell me. We'll talk about it after the game. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, because he knew that if I carried yeah, on talking, yeah, yeah. he knew it was a fractured, fractured cheekbone. He knew that he'd have to pull me off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah. so, like, so played the rest of the game fractured cheekbone got a plug you know just got it like healed I had to rest the following week but then I was back in the week after um, that was one example I mean I got knocked out cleanly knocked out in a game um, in, a, in a provincial game um, I was on the ground got kicked in the jaw I got four or five stitches on the jaw when I was lying on the ground it was live on TV as well my mum and dad watched it which was not great um, afterwards um just like I was like oh, okay I don't really feel too bad don't really remember much uh, on the Monday I had to do a psychometric test or one of the, the one of the tests passed it right. and my coach goes okay right so you're ready to play this week right. I was out for like 10-15 seconds right. um, and was I was like, like the test they do today or the tests oh I don't know what the tests they do today but it was some sort of like um, not a maybe, sorry, not a psychometric test, but some sort of like reaction test or maybe a memory test whatever it was yeah, yeah. Um, and because I passed it a bare minimum test probably just bare minimum test so, so, yeah, because I passed it I was fit to play and it wasn't until the Thursday that I was having a couple of headaches I said to my coach this is how, this is how bad this is, like, this is how bad my coach was like complete idiot 
I said to my coach and provincial coach at the time, because I was one of the main players as well, and I was the captain, um, and I said to my coach on Thursday, I said, listen, mate, I said, I'm just not right. I'm just, I'm getting headaches. Like, I just don't feel right. He lost his shit at me. Like, lost his shit at me. And like, and I didn't play that weekend. I played the following weekend. I had one week off. I was knocked out for 15, 20 seconds. Um, Went back. I mean, I've played before where I've been knocked out, um, didn't come off, then been knocked again, and then actually got pulled off. That happened probably two or three times. Um, you know, I've been pulled off because I was just running. I was like all over the show on the pitch, mm-hmm. and then they're like, "Right, you need to come off and then rest, play the following week." You know, it does, like, it worry, was, you. Does it worry you now. Um, Appreciate you can't do yeah, it right now. Yeah, I know. I mean, like, I'm not saying like it was it happened every weekend, but no, I mean, no. yeah. yeah, like a little bit. I mean, you never know what future is going to hold, yeah, right? Yeah. But I mean, uh, and I hope that nothing we ever will ever come of it. But I just know from a welfare, and it wasn't just me; it was other players from a welfare perspective. Just nothing was there. But also, you're a, you're a, your own worst victim because you didn't want to come off, and you took a bang to your head. And like quite often you take a bang to head and like you see guys now where they'll just get like a like a, you get a full body fuzz mm. where like you get a sh- like almost like electric shock go yeah. through you. You kind of have a split second of being like like knocked. You need a minute or two to come round, yeah. but and then you'll be back playing. I mean, I, look, I remember one game. It was a Super Rugby game. I got knocked out. I didn't realise I got knocked out. Um, lost twenty five minutes of the game. Wow. Came to near the end of the second half. And we're playing down at this, like in, in Dunedin, at playing against the Highlanders. And I was playing for the Blues. Lost 25 minutes, and I, and I came to, and I still have the the image in my head now. And I was remember being at the scrum, and the halfback who put the ball in the the scrum was the reserve halfback. And I said to him, and I knew him, and I was like, "Mate, what are you doing on?" Right. He goes, "What have you been on? I've been on for the last 10 minutes." He goes, "What the fuck are you talking about?" And this is my opposite line. All right, Jesus. And I just was like, and it just like all of a sudden hit me, and I just all of a sudden all this information just started coming in, and I was like looking around the crowd, and I like literally it's still vivid in my head, right. and I was just and I was just like played the following week as well, right. like you know, like just it's yeah. such a hard hard line between these teams and businesses yeah. when you get to a certain extent of knowing that at the end of the day the players are going to want to play as much as possible yeah. and they know that if you turn around and say oh by the way maybe I'm a little little yeah. niggle or something like that you, you can't you can't tell people that because yeah. then it's right you're off yeah and they you talked about, your knee, you talk about knee injury didn't yeah. you earlier as well. No. Of yeah. You want to get back quicker, and you just you just you just get forced into it, and people, you don't want to. And but I, it's I, kind of like what you said, like when they're sitting there picking and selecting names and things yeah. like that. It doesn't matter to them, the guys picking whether you're on that list or not, because well, right, we've got another one to replace. Yeah. Similar with right, well, if you're if you were to come and say right, I can't play right, well, I've got someone else to replace. Yeah, yeah. And if, yeah. if, if you don't want to give everything certain as in actual health yeah to rip, stand on the pitch then there's probably about 10 people who will choose to stay. and that's what the, that's what they ultimately play on as i said to them you're just a name on well that's I'm not, the, don't, the, I'm not you said it yeah. Really. yeah yeah and i'm not trying to yeah. categorize everyone but to an extent which yeah as we we're just talking about happens agree. is that whether your name's on there or not to them it's well they want to win well, the game 
Whereas if you're going to turn up and say, well, maybe I'm not 100% in this yeah. because of actual an actual health reason, yeah. well, okay, right, next one comes in and sorry. The good, the good thing is now is that if you've got a little niggle, an injury or a head injury, they look after you so well, you know, they do, that is, you don't, you don't, I don't think you'd ever feel that your place is going to be in yeah, jeopardy. Right, yeah. So like, you know what I mean? Like there's a real buy-in, whereas back then mm. it was almost like, Okay, we've taken a knock. We've just harden up, toughen yeah, up. Yeah. You get back in, like you know, yeah. and let, you know, unless your leg's broken, you're going to carry on playing. You know, like so there was a real, and that was internal pressure as well amongst the players. It was because when you're one of when you're one of the main players, they wanted you to play. You know, with the All Blacks on my knee. You know, like uh, they wanted me to come back. Yeah. I was forced back because the other halfback. Uh, wasn't it, if he wasn't there, I would never have been forced back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, of course, I did as much as I could to force myself yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. my own worst enemy because yeah. I wanted to get back. So, um, But they should really be the counterbalance because naturally the athlete does want to get back, so they should be the counterbalance of that. Say, now it's now there yeah, is yeah, a good balance. Right. Mm. No, never before. Mm. Um, my missus always says to me, you know, like she always worries about the knocks I had to my head because I wanted to do like a charity boxing fight um, recently. And... She was like, no, you're not doing it. You're just taking, like, I just, you know, anything could happen. I was like, well, I'm not going to get hit. Don't worry about it. <laughs> like, you know, That's the part, but, uh, anyway. But, uh, you know. Is that uh, the thriller in the villa? Is that what you're Oh, no, it was, for, it, was like a, oh, right. no, it was for something else but right. within, the, within the gaming community. Oh, but right. It's right. I, I ended up having to say no. So <laughs> I listened to her advice. I sometimes have to listen to it. Yeah, yeah. I got two other quick questions. So yeah. the uh, just I'm, I'm chatting more and more to athletes about uh, and I see it now, or I see it more and more in business, I guess, more just looking for that thing that, that people call ego. Do you think through your career you had ego? And it's not, I, sometimes people think that's a really negative thing, but I just no, wondered I def- if you had views on it, really. Yeah, I mean, I definitely had an ego. You know, when you're younger, you're a little bit invincible. Um, you know, you, you're, you, you, you know, your ego was is that you, you were just, you were put in a spotlight, you were put, you kind of everything was given to you everything was given to me basically um and you i wouldn't say an arrogance but it was just like you had so much confidence like you were just everything you did was just i'm going to be you know i you just you know you exuded absolute confidence um because you knew that you just backed yourself so much um uh, in terms of being an ego and being a complete arrogant that stuff not at all yeah, yeah. like that that i can say i never was um you know, I was always like practice humility. I always was trying to be a better person, and always was trying to, um, you know, just make time for everyone and that stuff. I saw a lot of guys who I played with that had massive egos. Yeah. Um, they wouldn't make time for people. They would just be walk around and think their their shit didn't smell a bit. Right. <laughs> kind of was like, no, I don't want to be like that. Yeah. Um, I always try to make time. Always try to like go out of my way and and and. If anything, sometimes it went against me a little bit because you're always trying to please and always trying to please everyone. Yeah. Can't please everyone, and you end up like hurting people around you sometimes because you're always trying to please just complete strangers because you're so worried about what they might yeah, say about yeah, you. Right, yeah, you yeah. all of a sudden you become you become so oh, I'm so careful about just everything. Yeah. Um, but no, no, it's certainly not an ego. I mean, I mean, like I had like, my, my ego was was that I was just confident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. was my ego. Was just like right, I back myself. Well, sometimes you see that it's like you talk about those kind of maybe lost years after you finish rugby where maybe that ego's taken a hit because you've been at a high level at what you're doing. It doesn't matter what you're doing, ultimately you're doing something at a high level and suddenly you're going to do something else and 
Oh, it definitely takes a hit. Like yeah. I mean, like I, I remember when I retired, I like I had never I never owned a car in my life. Right. Always sponsored, and I'm retired, and my sponsors rang me up straight away and said, "Okay, mate, uh, can you please return your car?" Like Nike, I'd been sponsored by Nike for like 15, 14 years since I first made the All Blacks. Um, uh, the guy said, "Look, I can't sponsor, can't do anything anymore." But he said, "If you need any gear every now and then, just give me a call." So I used to ring him up, and he used to give me like just some like just some kit every now yeah, and then. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was all of a sudden things get taken away yeah, away yeah, from you. Yeah. Um, you know your expectation like I'd go to a club in London you know I used to be able to get in like I used to be all that sort of stuff and all of a sudden you're retired for a couple of years and it's like you don't quite have the influence yeah, anymore yeah, yeah. so the ego so that that it's yeah. a bit of an adjustment so your ego is bruised a bit because all of a sudden you're not you're not today's news mm-hmm. like you're yesterday's news and there's someone else who's taking it uh, and then you're kind of like you're having to all of a sudden go well okay well that's when you that's again yeah, yeah. when you find yourself you're like Okay, well, what have I actually got to give? Who who am I? A little bit like okay, I'm not the rugby player. I need to try and reinvent myself a bit, yeah. and it re- like to reinvent. It's very difficult. So that's when you kind of have to. That's when the ego does. You go right. I have to remove my ego. I have to remove yeah, what yeah. I what I'm expecting. I can remove who I am, you know, or who I was. And it can often send people down a dark path. I'd imagine. hundred percent. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, look, it sent me down a couple of blades, difficult paths, but you, you eventually work it out, which yeah, yeah. which I did, which was fine. And my other question then was just around, mentioned earlier about that sort of process of handing that kit on. Maybe it's a really stupid question, but have, when you actually play for the All Blacks, can you keep your kit? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you so you've still got keep, your first kit. Yeah, I've still got my, my first. I've still got all my jerseys. Right. You keep everything, so it's right. all cool. Um, yeah, I guess it's just a metaphor, you know. Like yeah, no, I appreciate it. Just but just, it's, but it's, were you a mem- memorabilia person for keeping... No, well, this is a stupid thing, right? Like, you just... I just wish I'd taken more photos. I wish I'd taken more everything. Mm. I wish I'd enjoyed again, enjoyed. I wish I'd really stopped and gone. Let me just take a photo. Let's just try and enjoy this moment. Let's with my with my my mates. Let's enjoy this occasion. Let's keep you know because I look back and I'm like trying to find uh, footage or anything. I'm like oh, I've got nothing of me. Yeah. Like, my kids can't even barely see anything. You know, like YouTube wasn't like you know, yeah. Um, yeah. social media wasn't. There. It wasn't like you're on t- like you're on you're on TV every weekend. I guess like if I could find it if I wanted to, but I mean like you're going back to the archives a bit, yeah, so yeah. it's uh, it's that was probably what I well, the only thing I probably one of my regrets. I wish I'd sort of kind of scrapbooked it, scrapbooked it a little bit more yeah, and actually yeah. really taken that moment to enjoy it a bit yeah, more. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I, I mean, I've got a poor memory, isn't it? But uh, I wish I had more photographs again, just of youth more than anything else. Yeah. Of oh yeah, we're talking about scrapbooks and things that are most recent guest Roy Moore yeah. uh, he came in and he's got he came in with scrapbooks going back to like 1910s yeah, and he was in yeah, and yeah. all this and just it was and there was a cycle on it's fascinating just to look back and yeah, see the yeah. history of local man it's amazing yeah. just, it's brilliant I think that's the thing the one, you know, social media maybe rightly or wrongly who it's too long to debate whether it's good or bad but yeah. that footprint it leaves of yeah. images is something that is really good that, yeah definitely uh, Perhaps most of us just you know, forget, <laughs> just think, oh, it's happening now. We don't really think about it, and only when we when we could look back. You know, <laughs> thank you for coming down. Yeah, it's very much you. appreciated. It's been no, fascinating. Pleasure. Uh, yeah, appreciate it. It's a couple of hours. They fly oh, by. Right. God, that's, uh, that's I've talked too much. No, sorry. not sorry always. But no, I could I could go on for more. Yeah. <laughs> all these are learned lessons, and obviously quite frank with us at times as well. I really appreciate it. It was a real insight. Thank so thank you. Much. No, it's it's a pleasure, and um, you know, it's just. I don't often get to tell a story about everything, and uh, I think my partner's sick of hearing everything. So, <laughs> well, she doesn't want to. So it's uh, it's good to just kind of share a bit, and hopefully, you know, 
it's it's, it's worthwhile for yeah. anyone yeah, that, no. that hears. That's yeah. what we kind of run it for is to try and be able to take bits from it. So as well as the interesting story, yeah, cool. Have a very good career. Thanks. Thank you. No, thanks, guys. Cheers. Cool. So just to finish up as usual. Uh, wherever you're listening to us today, please like, subscribe, share, and leave those five-star reviews, pretty please. Um, on social media, on Facebook, the M Word Podcast, Twitter, Manx Sports Pod, and on Insta, the M Word IOM. And um, the last few we've had on the on the podcast um, have been recommendations. So again, please keep them coming in because, um, as you can tell, we get some fascinating guests in. So thanks again for letting us get into your ears. It's a word out from Martin. And word out from that.